Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back. What, what's up, chat? Yeah, we uh, we got another long one. So uh, last time we went over the first ten films. So it was like number one hundred to number uh, was it like eighty nine? Ninety ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah. Ninety one. Because I remember so that, that was weird for me. <laughs> yeah, from one hundred to ninety one, and so now we're doing uh, the next, which is uh, eighty nine to eighty one. Or 90 to 81. 90 to 81, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, last time we had a really good discussion and a lot of stuff got covered. Um, and our oh, yeah. lists were very different, which is awesome. So we got to talk about a lot of different films. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, let's let's keep it going. Uh, so yeah. do, you want, do you want to start or do you want me to start? How do you want to go with it? Um well, I guess we could just do like a like a little intro or like a like a recap kind of a thing of like you know these lists are like the way I I describe it is is kind of like a personality profile of like you asked me right now in November like what are my top 100 films? It's such an impossible task to tear down. Even if you haven't seen a lot of movies, I'm telling you, you've seen more than 100 movies, and it is hard to pick favorites. So I don't know how like favorites favorites they are, but like I kind of basically did this one by feel, and I'm like. Does this feel like it kind of represents me and my tastes? And my tastes, if you haven't figured it out already, are just trash, 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 gutter tier trash. Oh, look, an art film. Trash, 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 trash. Yeah. Lots of fun B-movies. A lot of Sam Jackson, a lot of uh, sure, you know, exactly, other, yeah. other, the big personalities, right? But these are only the 100, right? If you open me up to more, then I'll give you more trash. I'm trying. I'm really trying to basically what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to keep it classy, all right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah the lists are fun because it makes you pare down all the stuff and like you were talking about before you know i love all these brian de palma movies but i i can't have all of them i so can't I have, have to, all of them yeah i gotta pick one i gotta pick whichever the one that i really like is or you know um for me it's like yeah i like these steven spielberg movies but i'm gonna have like 10 probably not i'm gonna have to pare them down a little bit but exactly. i will have like seven <laughs> yeah, right right no and that's and you know what i was thinking of too is what i think we should do eventually once we get to the end of the line uh if we could plug these into like a uh an imdb list or something and then filter kind of just for fun just to see like which names popped up the most you know like which actor like you know like a sam jackson or or something like that that's just in every movie like which one had the most the biggest presence on your list which directors had the biggest presence i think that'd be fun to do once we get to the end of this thing yeah for sure like see what the big influences are um, yeah, or just like who's who's there in the shadows, just like in every movie that you like. <laughs> yeah, you just you just like oh, it's John Cazale the whole time. Yeah, because that well, I wish, but no, because that stuff happens. Like when I was doing my eighteen hundred Blu-rays, and I was just like, oh, I this guy that you know I I can't even remember his name is in like you know a hundred of my movies. <laughs> like who the fuck is he? So <laughs> that happens. So it's fun. It's like a fun metadata exercise to do that. But anyways, um, yeah, we can. Yeah, I I, I love I love the metadata stuff. Mm -hmm. um yeah so i i think i'll start off so i got an interesting one to start sure. off with yeah this um this is a film that it's sort of <clears throat> a bit like a miniseries so this film i believe is six hours long okay um it's called the best of youth it's directed by uh marco tulio giordana i believe is his name he's a italian director <clears throat> so this film i think the best way to understand this film uh, hmm. It's basically sort of an epic story told about two brothers over the course of four decades and it tracks their life from the 1960s to 2003. And it's about how their life changes and how the political, social and economic upheaval in Italy changes their lives 
as well as the country's lives and how that affects them and everything. <clears throat> um, yeah, like the big comparison I would give for this would be like a, a, something like Boyhood or like the Before trilogy. That was it's the first like, thing that came to my head, yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing these characters, how they change over time and how, you know, it's it's like seeing life basically um, over, over a long span of time. And it just, you know, one thing that's really cool about these films is like, um, it's really hard to create a true coming of age film in like one moment where like, yeah, we went down to these, to find this dead body and then we found it and then we, we changed and became adults. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Realistically, it happens like there's a couple of successive things that happen over a long period of time Correct, that yeah. cumulatively changes you. And this mm -hmm. type of, and again, this is six hours, <laughs> six hours, basically two parts. And there was even like, they broke it up into a miniseries, um, TV series. But uh, it, it's it's really like I I I've just like kind of watched the film on a whim and I just really loved it. It just struck me as being like beautiful and powerful and the way they depict you know the changes over time and how the brothers they kind of go apart and then they come together mm. towards the end and <clears throat> you know it's just it's very satisfying, mm -hmm. satisfyingly epic in the way that it it handled the story. That's yeah. cool. I love, I mean, I love coming of age stories and like you said, not necessarily, I mean, I, I love the stand by me's as much as anyone else, but like something that kind of expands the experience a little bit more. That's not just like a two hour, hour 45, happy feely, you know, we went through some shit and now we're, you know, different people kind of a thing. Like that seems really interesting to me to just kind of let it breathe and, and do all these different sagas because you know if you really really think about it your life is kind of broken up into chapters whether you like it or not so that's cool that's cool um yeah I, it is i should check this one out yeah i would definitely recommend it for anyone i think it's probably one of those like not a lot of people have heard about <clears throat> it's an italian film it's an italian it's sort of a film because they just kind of released it as a film but they also released it as like a tv show and a miniseries it's very long like that's a big commitment six hours a big commitment but you know if whatever way possible for people to consume it i think it's definitely worth your time um because it's it's a great piece of piece of art and piece of story I'd yeah say. i think i think a mini series is a, is a really cool way to do stuff like this uh, or at least to watch it uh as much as it kind of annoys me because i know that it's all one thing because when they shoot movies you know they shoot tens of hours of film so it's like it was all done at once, so like to watch it as a miniseries, it's kind of weird. But that's just because I've been conditioned by the HBO series that are all like shot at different times with different directors and stuff. But uh, as like a singular thing, I think miniseries might be a good way to digest it. Uh, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that's my number ninety, the best of youth. Um, so yeah. So what's uh, your number ninety? <laughs> no. <I'm... laughs> cool. Uh, I just adding to that watch list, man. Um, oh, all right, it's so number, probably infinite, right? It's infinite. It's 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 impossible. Uh, but who knows? Maybe one day I'll uh, be old and have nothing to do. Uh, so number ninety was. <laughs> uh, it's just, so here's Ibrahim, you know, bringing us the art films, and then I'm over here just dragging us down. Um, number ninety, I I was debating whether or not to put it on the list because it's like not that. I mean, it's really not that special. Uh, but I just it would betray me to not have this on the list for a couple reasons. And it's 100% because of when it came out and the 12 year old boners that it gave me all of the different boners. Uh, the movie is triple X with Vin Diesel. Oh, triple X. Yeah. Triple X. That was a Vin fun Diesel. one. It's, it's a fun one. It's a dumb one. It is profoundly stupid. It is uh so this is the follow up basically to the fast and the furious. 
which was point break with you know race car drivers or just straight racing i should say uh and then you know just studio movie all right rob cohen you made fast and furious vin diesel was the producer you guys work well together we we got a script in the drawer somewhere fucking go do it and this is basically like mission impossible for stupid people in that mission impossible is like not that intelligent to begin with but like this is really <laughs> this let's really go takes, dumber dumber this, like it's yes, too smart like, like if, like Mission Impossible at the end of the day is a Brian De Palma film, so like it's got some things going for it. Triple X is just like dumber. No, 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 dumber. Dumber, no, yeah. dumber. Yeah. And what I like about it, it came out in 2002. It came out just mid fucking MTV Jackass Viva La Bam, mid New Metal Deftones Linkin Park, all of that stuff. Like the just skateboarding stuff too. Right? The skateboarding stuff. Yes. The um, Tony Hawk himself is the in the Tony movie. Hawk. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. All the all the extreme. There's a scene in the beginning of the movie where Xander uh, Xander Cage, played by Vin Diesel, he goes to like. There's like this party because they pulled off this stunt and. Again, Again, some of those things were shot in Sacramento. I, I moved to Sacramento when I moved to the States, so that was exciting too. There's just a lot of elements that, that make this movie kind of like memorable for me. And also I just watched it over and over again because it was one of the like three movies I had on DVD or whatever. <laughs> so I just watched it over and over again. But then it's kind of making me realize, and, and you will see as the list goes on, I have this like nostalgia feeling in me for like, European films or things that take place in Europe, but like are done in a different way. And this movie is, is none of those things, but it does take place in Europe. Uh, it takes place in Prague in the, I believe in Czech Republic. And uh, it's, it almost feels like, I don't know. It just gives me those like cold Eastern European street vibes, but it's Vin Diesel in like a fur coat shooting people. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's, just, it, it, it's a really <laughs> dumb thing. And I feel like that only works for me. But I mean, as this movie, I can't justify it in any way, shape or form. It is a it is a popcorn movie. It is a get high movie. It is a don't pay attention to it movie. But for me, having seen it hundreds of times on repeat, it's taken on like a whole other meaning. Yeah. And uh, I, it just felt like wrong to not put it on the list. There's a lot of other action movies. And that's the other thing, too, is primarily I, I tend to uh, to wallow in the filth with the action movies and the B movies and the, the Dolph Lundgrens and the mm -hmm. Steven Seagal's and all of those offshoots. But this one, so like for an action movie to make the list, like there's 18 different Michael Bay movies I could have put on the list. But for an action movie to make this top 100 list, it has to stand out in a particular way. And this mm -hmm. one does for like those connections. Like the movie opens up with a Ramstein song and uh, fucking Ramstein was huge at the time. And, you know, I was I was huge into them. So just all of those little things. Uh, I love the cast. I love the guy, uh, the guy who plays the, the bad guy. He was he also was in Kingdom of Heaven. I forget his name. Um, I love the girl in it. Uh, Dario Argento's daughter. Yeah, she turned into a yeah. piece of shit, but nevertheless, at the time. Oh, I never you know, heard about that. Okay. Oh, is really bad Me Too stuff. But uh, <laughs> no. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but, like these royalty people, like you know, do all kinds of dumb exactly. Stuff. Like, and let's be honest, like her acting in this movie is dog it's shit. Dog shit. It yeah. is dog ass. However, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it's the way the, the the how this shit works, right? How Hollywood works. But for whatever reason, her being European and having that shitty accent and that like you know that like uh, the like I don't know what's going on face the whole time. It just kind of like works. It all works together. Uh, they spend a night at like this chateau and like there's a stripper in Vin Diesel's room and there's like we pause the movie for three minutes so that we can watch the striptease scene. Like it's just every twelve year old boner rolled into one movie and. It's got Samuel Jackson. So yeah. I, I just it had to yeah. make my list for all of those reasons. Like, I feel like this is a film. They knew who their audience was, right? 
Beautiful, like yeah. they're they're throwing in all the stuff, the skateboarding, the extreme sports, right? right? Mm-hmm. The, the metal the strippers, music. the metal, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the like the weird stunt, Samuel Jackson, and just get this guy, you know, who's a big action star, but we can maybe get him kind of on the cheap. And Vin yeah. Diesel at this time, he wasn't big, big yet, but he was kind of getting bigger. This, this was kind of like his breaking moment was the Fast and the Furious, this movie and, you know, whatever, whatever came next. Yeah. Yeah. And he like, when did Pitch Black come out? That was 2000. That was a little earlier. 2000 was, or sorry, Pitch Black was the one that like kind of made people aware of Vin Diesel is like an action uh, actor. Yeah. Because before yeah. that, he was doing like dramas and he was doing like Boiler Room and shit like that. Yeah. Boiler Room. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a great time capsule kind of film. It is. Um, but in, in a weird way, it's a time capsule, but it also kind of predates a lot of the modern action movie stuff, because if you really think about it, like it's all the action movies these days are kind of built around set pieces. And this movie very much feels like it was like, whatever, we're going to have some shenanigans and then we're going to get to the cocaine fields where he's, you know, jumping motorcycles over exploding buildings. And then we're going to do some other stuff. And then oh, we're going to get to Prague and where, you know, he's going to have a car chase on the street. So like the, the, the absolute extremity of it all is I feel like rolled into the other Fast and Furious movies, beginning with Fast Five and stuff like that. And now we see it in all of the, you know big mission impossibles that are all built around set pieces. So I feel like this was one of the early ones that kind of did that, but just like in a really dumb way. Yeah. It, it It's, it's an interesting film. It's a, it's a great one. Uh, I definitely remember watching it at the time and like, mm-hmm. and go, Oh yeah, that's fun. You know, just like, it's a fun time. Yeah. Um, Cause like, yeah, they, we, you know, we weren't at the point where we are now where it's like, there's the cookie cutter fast and furious mission, impossible Marvel DC, right. you know, there's, there's kind of at this point, what big stuff unless it's christopher nolan that exists outside oh, of those spheres absolutely we were just talking about um i don't remember what movie it was we we're talking about last week but like the studios would just like make things and sometimes they would make action movies sometimes they would make like random thrillers that you've never heard of uh so yeah like this is another one that like they were trying to launch a franchise and even if they didn't launch the franchise which they did for better or worse uh it was like you know it's a movie, it's a video game, it's a monster energy drink tie-in. It's like, it's all of these things, and it kind of just works that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a really cool one. Um, so, Triple X. Triple X, baby. Made, made X. the list. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so my number 89 is sort of another uh, trailblazing film. So, this is a film, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. Directed by Arthur Penn. So... This this film is interesting on a lot of levels. Uh, the acting is great. Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Gene Hackman. Uh, Gene Wilder is randomly in this movie. The Hackman cometh. Hackman, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I don't know how big he was at the time when this came out. He um, wasn't. Yeah. yeah. He kind of wasn't. And then he got bigger. He got he got bigger. That's for sure. Yeah. In the no, 70s. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I, I told you a couple months ago, I watched like all of his 70s movies and like all the interviews. And he was just like, basically nobody knew my name until Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, but he yeah. was like doing theater and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. This film, what's so cool about this film is like, this is based, this film feels like the predecessor of what the seventies films kind of became. Oh, you know, absolutely. it's on every one of those lists. Mm-hmm. It's on every one of those new Hollywood movies. Durr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hyper violence, the sexual nature, um, the, this, this, this sort of doomed love story, all of it. And I feel like it's, it's, there's something in the, and you know, earlier I talked about Jesse James, Assassination of Jesse James. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That film, I feel like these two films kind of talk about the same kind of thing, which is like there's it's the the American celebrity culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of so universal 
even at this, even as far back as Jesse James, that's kind of part of the thematic purpose of that film is to talk about that. I mean, same sure. with this. But they had, I mean, the in in the old days they had all these out great outlaws that were kind of known for their legends and their myths, and that's kind of like the modern day, and especially back then, you know, a lot more recent version of that. Yeah, where you know there'd be these little—I forget what they got. It was like penny or or dime, dime something novels. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Penny I, dreadfuls. I, something no, like that. That's like a horror but, thing. Yeah. yeah, something. I forget what it's called, but it'd be these really small, pulpy, cheap novels mm-hmm. they produce. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, "Oh, hey, here's the story of how Jesse James robs you know those exactly. bankers." Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is like, "Oh, hey, here how Bonnie and Clyde they they screwed over whoever," and you know, there's a scene where they like they rob the bank and but then they leave the money for some poor guy who's you know trying to do a withdrawal or something yeah they like you know they have this uh what'd you call it like they like they have this chivalry or something you know like they have a they have a code they have have like a class to them yeah they're not they're not just like out trying to screw over people they're they're the screwed over people trying to survive in this horrible right right world of the depression Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I think it works on a lot of those levels. And again, the ending is just so classic. Yeah. So classic. Like, if we don't have that ending, I think oh. a lot of the stuff that we like, like exactly. in terms of the action, the violence, mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. maybe doesn't it maybe gets pushed back. It gets you pushed know? back a lot. Yeah. Like if if this doesn't get made, like maybe the people, the suits in the when they're making the Godfather, like uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't get killed like that. Maybe Exactly. Exactly. Maybe uh, they shoot him in the head once, and that's it, and we don't see it. And we just and we don't pan see away. It. Yeah, yeah. Like, no. Because that was that's exactly it. That's one of the frustrations for me was um, like w- w- as I was digging through and educating myself on like the the old Hollywood, the different eras of Hollywood. Um, coming from the European background, where n- everything is just les- is les affaires, everything's out there, and there's no rating systems for anything unless it's like straight up, uh, you know, beheadings or whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's no there's no limits on stuff and then there's all of these great movies with all these great actors that i was watching you know 40s 50s whatever uh, but they were all they all had to be approved right so yeah. a lot of the stuff had to be kind of in my imagination even hitchcock's best work it's like it works because it's subliminal and because it, you know you don't see it but you're thinking about it kind of a thing uh where i i basically conditioned myself to just see everything all the time and so bonnie and clyde was a great like breath of fresh air when i got to that era of hollywood is like finally they're showing us the dirty like reality of of what's happening here and not just like saying you know like scarface like the, i watched the original scarface and it's like great but you know people are you know they just go pew 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 and there's like ah, oh, and then they fall on the ground i really wanted to see that stuff because like it gives you this sense of this like false if you just believe everything you see in movies which you shouldn't but like they do have that power they make you think that like uh everything was kind of more puritan back in the day which yes. is, is not the case like people have been fucking filthy degenerates forever so <laughs> so i just it was just nice to see that in a in a movie of that yeah. of that era in particular yeah they totally they kind of they kind of whitewash history and that's what those mm-hmm. 30s and 40s films did um yeah or at least they you know there's like there's the interesting like the pre-code era where you know there's all these where it was just like innuendo up the ass just so innuendos innuendo. for days yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was like you wouldn't see it but they would say it in as many ways as they could like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna do that I'm gonna do this to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So much so that you have to question yourself. Like, is it was that was that the intent? Like, is that are they really thinking saying? Because like they wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like stuff like the Lady Eve. Um, mm-hmm. 
comes to mind. But yeah, this is this is like they they show it to you. They're not holding back anymore. Yeah, it's over. That stuff is over. We're gonna and yeah, our protagonists are going to get savagely murdered at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. and you're going to see them die in slow motion, uh, taking like a hundred bullets or something. <laughs> it goes on for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely one of the great endings in in film history yeah and it, it influenced so much not just that ending but like the story you know like how many movies and stories and novels have you read about like backwoods people like we were just talking about the devil all the time like mm -hmm. you know the gentleman and his sweetheart and they go on a road trip and they start killing people or maiming them or whatever it's like it influenced yeah. that in, in the culture because of the real events and then also because of this movie. It like probably re reawoke that. Yeah, what was that Tarantino movie uh, that he didn't direct? True uh, Romance? I don't think it was True Romance. The Mickey and Mallory? Mm -hmm. Oh, 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 Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Natural Born Killers is like, again, it's in the same vein of this, right? It's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's my... Number 89, Bunny and Clyde. Classic. Yeah. Um, so what's uh, your number 89? Uh, it's a classic of a different, uh, of a different, you know, we could, we could juxtapose these. They did similar things for, for different eras, um, but like a classic in a schlocky way, how I like it. And when I was talking earlier, how I like to just kind of, I basically got to a point where I like, I like eight or nine or five or six of this filmmaker's films. How do I kind of condense them? Ultimately, I condensed Paul Verhoeven into Basic Instinct, and that's my number 89. Uh, I love Basic Instinct. Uh, it's not perfect. It's not a great film. It's not even like a great thriller by by all of those standards. I mean, it, it is. It is, but it's not like... I feel like it was trying to be Silence of the Lambs, but like with sex or something. I'm not exactly sure what it was trying to do. Uh, many more intelligent and educated people have talked about Basic Instinct, but uh, it did do the things, you know, whereas Bonnie and Clyde showed us the violence, uh, Basic Instinct showed us the beavers. Uh, and uh, this is another one of those films that like, it's not, it's just... I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's it's noirish. It's it's dark. It's it's basically like a cheap thriller, like a pulp novel. Uh, Michael Douglas in the lead doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, especially as to, due to how like halt the age difference and everything. Uh, but it's it's like a fun. It's it's a very Hollywood version of that type of story, but it was like filtered through this like insane. Um, I believe he's what Danish filmmaker who. He's he's either Danish or he's from the Nether or Netherlands or something. Sorry about that. But um, basically, Verhoeven like he got his start in the '70s, like making these like crazy, crazy, crazy movies with uh, Rooker Hauer and stuff. And then he came to Hollywood. He made RoboCop. He made Total Recall, which were known for how over the top the gore was in some of the some of the stuff. And then Basic Instinct is basically where he's like, okay, I think I've I've shown you enough heads exploding. Now I'm going to show you just like all of this psychosexual stuff, which mm -hmm. was not necessarily new uh, at the time, like body heat was out and stuff like that. But it, I think it like for the pop culture, it kind of exploded because everybody started talking about that scene in the interrogation room and, and stuff like that. And I like it for that reason for like, it's like a historical document, but also I like cheap thrillers. I really like cheap thrillers. And I think basic instinct is probably the most polished you can get in the, in the vein of a B movie, because it feels like a B movie to me. Uh, 
it's not very high art, but like some of the way that like some of the ways that those sex scenes are shot is like very, very artful, uh, more artful than the movie deserves, honestly. Um, but I really like it for that reason. It's just like this kind of cheap B movie thriller, uh, kind of elevated a little bit by the talent involved and the, you know, the director and everything, which of course he would go on to make the trashiest of trash, which is what I love him for. You know, he made showgirls <laughs> later, <laughs> yeah. later on, but uh basic instinct is the one where kind of like every, everything is as reined in as it could be, but without like the full kind of censorship, like this is kind of it broke a lot of boundaries you know in terms of what can be shown in movies and stuff and uh, i appreciate that because i'm all about just show me show me everything give it to me raw and uh basic instinct again i love cheap thrillers i love cheap movies i love you know psycho sexual stories uh it doesn't really hit as well as some of the other movies on my list but i had to put it on here for like just the effect that it had and the effect that it had on me, you know, I was just like, like, this is kind of the entry point. I was like, okay, so here's the popcorn version of like a sexy thriller. And then now watch the good ones. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, it's, yeah. I definitely remember it too. It was very ubiquitous. Uh, yeah. What that scene meant in the culture at the time. And, and if you think about it now, it's just kind of like, especially with like the shit that you can see on the internet. it's like, not a big deal at like it's it honestly kind of just it fits the movie even better now it, it removed from the kind of shock value of the you know the periodicals and the newspapers are writing i'm like ah this fucking movie's crazy whoa like now you can just kind of watch it as a movie if you've never heard of it before and just be like oh i get it <laughs> yeah you're not gonna get swept up in this other just be like oh my god they they showed that on the movie screen whoa which is weird because we've been seeing dicks in movies for a hundred years. Yeah. And you, you, you show one, uh, one, uh, one beaver. And yeah. One, like, no. one cat and everyone yep. goes crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I like, I, I remember the opening too of that movie is like pretty, pretty cool. Cause like, there's like the sex scene and then she yeah. starts killing the guy she starts yeah. killing him with the ice pick. And you're like, Whoa. Uh, That's... and it also like, what's interesting too, is like, you know, she's such a, I forget the name of the character, but she's such a, like, mm -hmm. you know, She's 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 like empowered sexually. Catherine Tramell. Catherine Tramell. She's she's yeah. empowered sexually, but she's also very dangerous. Mm -hmm. She's almost got that kind of Black Widow vibe, where it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you you want to be with her, but you will she she'll kill you. She mm -hmm. will kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, but that almost makes it more enticing because like oh, that's the whole that's the entire pull of the movie, right? The, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're, just, you're just like, will will she or won't she with the protagonist? You know, yeah. is it is is she gonna do it? Is she the killer? I mean, you're pretty sure, like ninety nine percent, she's the killer. Yeah, the 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 kind of it 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 flips in the second half, and you know, the, then it turns into kind of like a will they won't they love story, but with like murder. Um, so that that I don't like about it, but like the first half of the movie, like you said, is very strong and very like again, it's just Verhoeven coming in and saying like you know how more blood, more blood, more blood, more tits, more tits. And I like that, you yeah. know. Yeah, he, you know, did so. It was later on that he did Hollow Man, right? Yeah, it was. After, it was yeah. about yeah. Yeah, Hollow Man was another uh, where he just, you know, does not hold back. No, no, does not hold back. Mm -hmm. Like, and in this again in this movie, he's like, yeah, you're gonna get the sex and the violence and the death and the uncertainty, and it's it's really well played. I think it, it is. It is well Wells. played, and especially again for like a polished Hollywood production. This is probably like at the time, it's been, like it's pretty much like as extreme as it as it'll ever get. Um, 
and I really like that about it because it's it is really big budget and really polished, and there's a lot of big names in it uh, and big names involved in making it. But yeah, it's just like again, they just picked like a European out of obscurity, uh, out of uh, just making these like extreme uh, European films, and then they were like, money, make movies, and then it worked. So <laughs> I like that about it. So was this this was shot in San Francisco? Is I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe San Francisco is the setting, which is cool. I um, love San Francisco movies. San Francisco, yeah. it, it's it's kind of unfortunate that it's kind of we don't get it as much because San Francisco is actually a very cinematic city. You know, Bullet. Oh, it's so cinematic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vertigo, one of the greatest films of all time, set in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, it just and, and the the most recent stuff is like Ant Man. Basically, both the Ant Man films were shot there. And Venom, I think. Yeah, Venom was shot there too. Yeah. yeah. I know this because when I was at San Francisco State, I had people that were like, I knew people who were working on those working films. And they're it. like, they're making movies in San Francisco again. And I was taking this class about like the history of this of the city. And this professor was like lamenting. He was like, there's so many good films shot here in the 60s yeah. and 70s. And now it's just kind of like. It's gone. Kind of gone. Yeah. Oh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That's a really good one shot. That's a fucking great one. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really great one. Uh, Barry Jenkins' um, first film, I believe, was shot in San Francisco, too. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's hard to shoot there now as much, you know, in, especially in comparison to like Canada or you know places like that. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's all it's all budget and stuff. But again, like they they, they had the, it's just there's so much money and polish behind Basic Instinct, and they they went to San Francisco and they did all this stuff, and I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's moody, you know. I like moody films. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Basic Instinct. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So yeah, for my number eighty-eight, my next film is. A film called A Place in the Sun. So this is a George Stevens film. Ooh. It's pretty much like he's the, yeah George Stevens is, is the director. It's it's pretty much sort of like a tragic love story. Um, and the acting is excellent. Oh, I think dude, pretty, I fucking love Montgomery Cliff. <laughs> yeah. So this is probably one of the best Montgomery Cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Montgomery Cliff, Elizabeth Taylor, and Shelley Winters, and those are like basically the three main characters. And there's this little. Um, love triangle that ends up happening between the three of them. Uh, and so the, the film is about, so Montgomery Cliff plays this guy, George Eastman, who he's sort of estranged from the wealthy part of his family. And then he meets up with them again. And then he kind of gets brought into their circle. Like, uh, I guess it's his uncle owns this really big company. And so then he hires him to work for the company. Um, and then he's basically he has one rule. One rule is don't date any of the women at this company course he breaks that immediately right uh, um and then yeah <laughs> like Where's literally the drama? yeah <laughs> and so then he's he's rising up in the ranks very quickly and his he so the um shelly winter's character alice their relationship becomes at odds with both him becoming more successful and his relationship with elizabeth taylor angela who's she's a she's someone who's also kind of very well off and rich and Alice, the Alice character is more sort of like a poor, you know, working class person. And so he gets stuck in this, this uh, basically predicament where he's like, he, he's in love with Angela, but he doesn't want to break up with Alice and he doesn't know what to do. And he makes some very bad decisions, mm. <laughs> makes some very, very bad decisions. And it's super tragic and it's super sad and powerful. But the acting, Montgomery Clift is so good in this movie. He is so good in this movie. Um, and yeah, the thing that comes to my mind is like, you know, seeing Montgomery Clift in this movie, like, I feel like you're starting to see the evolution of like the way that big time actors act, mm. you know, like his style is different from like, I love seeing the, that stuff, yeah. yeah, from like the, you know, the, the, the classic James Stewart, 
Gregory um, Peck or whatever. Gregory Peck and um, Humphrey Bogart. And like, it's interesting to see, you know, him and James Dean, I feel like we're really, and you know, Marlon Brando were like yeah. really the big time pioneers of, of this different style of acting. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to see, to, you know, to see them. Uh, I, I really, really like this film and it's, yeah, it's really powerful and well done and well shot and well directed. It's just a great film. Yeah, it's uh, George Stevens is one of the ones that uh, one of the directors I want to go through and kind of do like the deep dive on because I really like I mean, he's one of the greats. So I, <laughs> I feel like I should. Yeah. Yeah, I um, yeah, this was the one I'd seen a while ago. I watched a little bit of it again recently just to kind of pick up, you know, what I liked about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just, yeah, immediately I was like, oh, because it does so it's a great job of setting up this, you know, the, ma the main character, like it makes you really feel for him because he's basically like, just imagine a guy, oh, you know, this is actually a perfect example. Like, have you seen those memes? The guy, the the Native American guy who was like on his surfboard and uh, he was, he did this TikTok thing and he was like drinking some cranberry juice. Oh, and then went viral. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Fleetwood Mac thing, yeah. The Fleetwood Mac thing. So <laughs> this character to me feels like that guy. Mm. Okay. He's just like a guy and then like, you know, he's he's going on in life and he's a good person and then suddenly he's given this opportunity that makes him really well off, but then he's given too much too quickly and then he kind of just, you know, and just he's got, he's got like a character flaw or something that just like makes him make the wrong decisions all the time. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he just can't be honest. He can't be honest with people. Got it. That's cool. Much. That that's a that's a cool setup. Yeah. It's a great film. It's a great film. And like, yeah, you just love the character at the beginning and then you're like, "Oh no, don't don't <laughs> no, rain dude, it don't, in. Don't yeah. Fuck this up, man. You're fucking it up. And then he just, you know, spirals. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. I, I got to check that out. I love Montgomery Clift. I really do. Yeah. He's great. Like I was just thinking of like, you know, what his best performances are. Cause like, unfortunately I forget what happened with him. I think it was I like, think, mm, I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. I think it was, I think he kind of, yeah. had some, some problems. Like I know it was, problems, he was, problems. I know he was for sure involved in a car crash. I just don't remember if that was the cause of death or not. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I think he had the car crash and that just like kind of messed him up. It happens with uh, with a lot of these, yeah. Like it didn't it didn't take him out but it but it got in, got into his head too much. Um but yeah, like another classic example of his film uh where he has a good interesting form like uh From Here to Eternity is another film that you know a lot of people know him from. Yeah. So, it's a bummer. Uh yeah, I think there might be some other films. But yeah, he has he you oh, know, he has I, heard, I I like him in uh, did you say Wild River by any chance? No, no, that's a good oh, one. Oh, it's so good. I love him in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some, you know, he's got more than James Dean, but I feel like they have about the same number of really good Just films. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like yeah. James Dean did like four films or something, four or five or whatever. Yeah. Um, But I, but like all his were like really good performances, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, for Monty Cliff, like he, he, he's got like four or five good performances. Um, mm -hmm, and yeah, sure. this is probably my favorite of all of them. Cool. So, yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta check that out. Yeah, that's my number eighty-eight. Uh, yeah. So what's, uh, what's your number eighty-eight? My number eighty-eight. Um, we're talking about actors that we love. My favorite actor of all time, Al Pacino, is in this movie. This movie is not um, that well regarded, but I feel like it's. I feel like if people start to discover it and rediscover it year after year, decade after decade, I think it it like picks up every time you see it. I think it does get better. I've seen this movie like many, many times. Uh, it's Insomnia. It's Christopher Nolan's, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, Insomnia. It's a remake of a Norwegian film, I believe, of the same name. It's one of those things where, um, you know, the, the Hollywood is just like, this is a movie that exists. Do it. 
here. Uh, and But they just so happened to give it to Christopher Nolan. And so I feel like this is the one more than like, I don't know if I, maybe like all of his other movies, except maybe like Memento or, or Tenet, I guess, where like we, we get to see just like him, uh, kind of like his visual uh, art, like his artiness come through a little bit. Ten is a bad example, but like just his more like his directorial sensibilities that is not just, uh, you know, a matter of I have eight IMAX cameras set up and I really want to do this crazy, 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 like physics driven thing. It's it's actually about a character, which is, whoa, it's about uh, not that <laughs> he's like the prototype for all of the Nolan characters. So basically Al Pacino plays this L.A. detective who gets called to Alaska where this girl's been murdered and nobody gives a shit because it's Alaska. Uh, I believe it's Alaska. I hope I, I'm not getting the story wrong, but um, it's basically, so there's, there's the whole murder mystery. There's a procedural, there's the detective drama. He gets paired up with Hillary Swank, which is another one of my favorite actors just ever uh, super underrated, I think. Um, so they, they, you know, they're piecing the stuff together and they find out who the killer is about halfway through the movie, more than an hour into the movie. We find out that the killer is Robin Williams and Robin Williams in this movie, dude, it is, he is so fucking good. Uh, there's a great scene of the two of them when they meet for the first time and they have their first conversation on, um, on like a trolley or something. And, uh, Robin Williams is just like waxing lyrical and he's talking (laughs) about all of these things, this like. I basically like the, the like a reined in Charlie Manson. He's just like all oh, these people, they're trash, and I'm trying to you know fucking clean whatever the earth or. And then Al Pacino, he's like you know he tells Al Pacino, he's like you don't know anything about me. And then Al Pacino looks at him and he gives it like one of the greatest lines. He's like, "You're as mysterious to me as a uh, toilet is to a fucking plumber." <laughs> <laughs> like there's just this great back and forth between these two and it's worth watching if not if if you don't care about any of the uh, p- police stuff at least for the uh, for the performances for Robin Williams and Al Pacino uh, but he does he does a good job of uh, again Nolan uh, he's starting to kind of figure out how to get inside your head not just by way of like we're playing the movie backwards whoa but like uh, psychologically because there's a lot of psychological stuff in this movie you know Al Pacino is being basically worn down by this guy. And uh, the title of the movie Insomnia is because he's in Alaska. They happen to be in there like it's day for six months thing. He can't fucking sleep like yeah. the entire time, bar none. And so Al Pacino puts in this really great, like subtle performances. Like most of his good performances are subtle. I feel like uh, where you could just feel the exhaustion in his face as the movie goes on. Like you, he just gets more baggy and just more worn out by, by the killer the the you know the trying to solve the crime and this crazy motherfucker who's out there killing girls uh that nobody gives a shit about because uh, they're in the middle of alaska so it's a fun i don't want to say fun but it's 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 i think it, it needs rewatching and more people need to give it more more of a chance it's the only movie that nolan directed that he didn't write the script for so it's the only one where like again it's not just like his ideas of like I, this is what I want to do with this story and I'm going to mechanically do it this way. <laughs> yeah. It's it, you know I'm going to tell you the story this way. It's it's more character and psychologically driven and I again I love a good psychological thriller. Um and I think people should check out Insomnia but it's definitely on the top 100 because I've seen this movie a lot of times and it never disappoints. It never gets worse. It always it always gets richer the more time I watch it, mm-hmm. the more times I watch it. And there's a there's a couple really great like cinem cinem cinematography wise there's a lot of really good shots in it there's a shot of him in an alleyway uh that just looks gorgeous uh, dirty you know wet yeah. alleyway stuff like that stuff that really hit home for me uh and uh yeah robin williams in this movie again al pacino 
uh, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, that's one I, I I saw a long time ago, probably mm-hmm. probably 15 years ago. And right, I no, felt, same. I saw it yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, and I went back to it though, and that's why it kind of cre- crept up the list basically. The more times yeah. I saw it, but go ahead. Yeah, I feel like that's one I probably should watch again. Um, I recently we rewatched Dunkirk. Like mm. I saw 4K of Dunkirk, and that kind of blew my mind. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like seeing these plain shots with the with the fucking uh, with the IMAX camera, it's like whoa. Like this is what it was like, but yeah, I feel like that's one that I need to watch again. I like I because I like I like basically all of his films. I'd say that's the one that I feel the most lukewarm about. Mm. I don't feel, but I have, I've only seen it once in like you know, sure, sure, <laughs> like sure, yeah. like I've seen it once in like twenty years, so I probably need to see it again. Uh, and you know, there's a lot to like about it. The director's great. The actors are insanely great. Oh, and the subject matter is good too. So it's like this, you know, it's like one of those things where. It's like this should work. This should work. And I just mm-hmm. got to find, you know, maybe sometimes you got to find, you know, I don't know. There's some films for me where like I have to figure it out, you know? Like I don't get it for a while and then I get it and I'm, "Oh, okay." I I now feel I that. Got it, I know? feel that. Yeah, because at first like it there we we keep talking about Christopher Nolan and there's like a level of de- emotional detachment. Even when there's emotion there, it feels like it's injected. It's inject like it doesn't feel it doesn't it's not organic. Uh, or not as organic as he might want it to seem. So there's a level of like cold detachment, but I feel like that works in this movie's favor because it's literally set in a cold uh, environment and um, all of the, all of the characters are just basically depressed, uh, which I really, you know, I really fuck with. So um, yeah, he's a super plot driven guy. He's all about plot. I think really. Like he he's so into yeah. like how can I mechanically put the yeah. plot together yeah, yeah, yeah. to create this this thing yeah and that's what he's always but he's he's really good at it he's that's really what, good at but it but I think but I think that's what that that's why this movie is the black sheep it's the outlier because it's the plot is yeah okay it's a little convoluted and it's kind of interesting but it's not really what the movie is about it's about the uh, the the way that this case. And the whole kind of thought of being a detective degrades this guy like mentally and on a personal level. And there's there's some drama. There's some like backstory that we find out about him and stuff like it's more it's more psychologically driven and and character driven than a lot of his other films. Uh, But again, there is that detachment of like, I really want to get to the part where they find the thing under the fingernails. (laughs) Yeah, he it's like Nolan being forced to do the character driven film. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. But but I think before he got too like full of his own powers, once he figured out like this is basically what I'm good at, uh, I think this is a good middle ground movie where he's he's still trying to be a director. He's trying to insert some like cool artsy looking shots in there, but uh, you know he really just wants to get to the big 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 set pieces. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to I'll have to give that one another watch. So, yeah, that's um, that's um, that's number eighty eight for sure. Cool. All right, so yeah, so we're at number 87. So for me, my number 87 is The Irishman. Oh. From Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Do tell. Irishman makes my oh. number, my 100 list. I've, um, I've heard good things about The Irishman. Should I watch it? <laughs> yeah. We talk, we've talked a lot about The Irishman, right? We've talked yeah. a lot about The Irishman. There's a lot of good things to say about The Irishman. And yeah. I feel like this, um, I, I saw this thing recently where someone was trying to like kind of basically figure out like what is Martin Scorsese's style, right? Mm. And um, and kind of the person that he found it hard to place because like you could definitely say, okay, The Departed, 
the Irishman. Because, um, you know, you know, fellas. Mean Streets, Goodfellas. These are all kind of similar, but then he does like Silence and uh, what's the other one with the... Uh, there's another one he did, Daniel Day Lewis. It's like a period piece, not the, oh, not the, uh, not the Civil War one. Age of Innocence, like those are different yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like The Irishman is within that style, like those films, and it's like, oh yeah, it's like everything you'd kind of want. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the main it's the main uh, it's the main mode I think that he's known for for yeah, being. It's in. the mode, the yeah. the interesting editing, the like you know the gangsters, the violence. The really beautiful photography, the like single take shots that are like so well choreographed, all that stuff, the sprawling epics, the voiceover narrative, yep, the the great soundtracks, all of that is there. Yep. And yep. The Irishman has all of it. And yeah, every the, great actor the, of the generation, basically. <laughs> basically. And he does all of the Scorsese isms are there. You know, the soundtrack is moving you through the years. The filming tech like the film techniques are moving you through the years. Like he shoots the older stuff in the 60s style. And as we move closer to the present, he shoots them in the different styles with different film stock and shit like that. He did that on the Aviator and Gangs of New York. And I think he did that on Gangs of New York. So like all of his like technical things are in this movie. Um I fucking love the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, the Irishman is great. I just, I really, and again, this is a movie that's been, you know, we've been waiting for it to come out for like a decade and a half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and for, for me, for me specifically, I just going through and and discovering this filmmaker that is, you know, top three filmmakers for me. Going through it, all of this Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent and all of these great Italian actors that he pulled in, you know, Paul Sorvino stuff like that. I was just like, where the fuck? is Al Pacino. Where is my guy? Where is my favorite actor? And then finally we got him. <laughs> that was a great him. moment. And there's that great awesome moment where he knows, you know, he he knows what that reveal means, you know, when he picks up the phone. He's like, I heard you paint houses. And you're like, oh, fuck, it's Al. <laughs> yeah, and it's him and it's his voice and we just hear his voice and it's exactly. like, yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. What do you say? I say, I, yeah, I paint houses and I, I heard, do my, I do oh, my I, own carpet plumbing or something. Carpets, plumbing? yeah. Yeah. Carpets or something like that, which means that I dispose of the body as well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so just, great. just so great. Um, there's a lot of fun. Al Pacino, like that scene when he meets with uh, the other guy who's late. Oh my god! Yeah, that scene yeah. is amazing. It's so good. <laughs> that I see that scene. Amazing. I see that scene. Netflix put that up on their YouTube channel, and it, it it keeps popping up, and like people's recommended, and like people who've never even seen the movie or they don't necessarily know what it's about, they like they comment on the scene, and they're like, "This is fucking funny." <laughs> it's so great. It's so funny, and like, yeah, he's like, you're "Like, you wear that shirt to a meeting? You're late to like what?" What are you doing? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, ah, it's, you know, I wear this all the time. It's Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's like, Florida. You, you wear that suit all the time? It's like, for meetings, I do. <laughs> if I'm having a meeting and I come on time. <laughs> oh. yeah, it's, it's okay. And then they, like, they like talk about, like, yeah, you know, it's probably, like, like I'm glad we're here in Florida because, you know, the weather up, up, in, up in New York, it's going to be cold. It's summer. It's It's summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's summer. <laughs> That movie so and then like again there's a great scene where uh the they're you know the Kennedys are closing in on him or well Bobby is and he's mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. like he's like about to get you know arrested um and then he brings in everybody and then he starts oh, and cussing he just them out screams at them <laughs> yes 
it's it's again it's just like you know what you're working with and you just they he gave us like the the kind of three course meal of al pacino we got the the great the teamsters are the greatest like we got all the screaming pacino stuff we got all the subtle face stuff like we he put it all in there for us god yeah this this movie is like like if you don't like this movie man I know a few people who don't, or rather, not I, that they don't like it. I just know people who are incapable of getting into it. They're basically just like, this is a boring movie for old people. And obviously, I disagree with that. And I don't think that's true in, in, in yeah. any way. But for a lot of, especially for younger people, like the Instagram generation, where everything is instant gratification all the time, or and it's it's about clout, and it's about like, oh, well, what do I care about these old guys? They haven't done anything in the last, you know, yeah. decade. And I've been alive in the last decade and I didn't really see anything. And so why should I care? Like fair yeah. enough. Yeah. How long is this movie? Oh, it's like um, three and a half hours. Yeah. Let me see. How many minutes is this movie? 209 minutes. That's long. <laughs> yeah. That's about three and a half, three hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. That it's, it is a long movie. And then it, it, when, when you, when we hit the ending and it takes that turn, and it's, you know, the ending is basically a, a purely story epilogue. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's giving us pure theme. Yeah. Like, it's it's, yeah. it's giving us the theme, feeding us the theme. And it's just, I thought that was amazing. Because, like, you know, that's probably, like, half an hour, 40 minutes. Of the that's film. what I was going to say. I'm glad. And it's amazing that they, they committed to it. Everybody, like, the production involved, like, the, the, they let him make this this length. But I'm glad that they committed to that epilogue and they gave it the time that it needed. Because it really like it gives you all the fun shit up front, and then it just really hits you at the end with the theme, like you said. And it it's I'm so glad they just like simmered yeah. in it for a bit. You know? It's so powerful. It's so powerful, and it really underscores like what it's what this film is about. Um, I just that to me is like you know the fun stuff is really 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 good, and then when you add that on top of it, especially like you know you talked about like how this is kind of sort of the end of an era. Yeah. Like right. if you if you view the Irishman as the end of that era of like mean streets, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. Casino, That's exactly, yeah. And when you see this is the end for all these, they're either dead or they end up like um, Frank Forgotten. Sherman. Yeah, yeah. Like um, no, like Jimmy Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, like with the with the scene with the nurse where yeah, the know, nurse is like, who is that? Who the fuck is Jimmy Hoffa? Like, okay, I, you know, who Jimmy Hoffa. You know, Jimmy but Hoffa. again, what? it just that's what that, that's what I love about it is that it just kind of it, it works. On like all of the meta levels too, because again, I was just talking about, you know, the 24 year olds that I know, they don't give a fuck about Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, you know, it's short of, oh, is that the guy from Home Alone? I didn't even recognize him because he's so fucking old. So like, yeah, it just, it's, that's to me where I think the movie succeeds the most is it's, it's like themes and it's like meta narrative of like, this is it. Like, we're not going to get money to do another one of these. We're not going to, you know, at this scale, uh, maybe Marty, I mean, of course, yeah, he's in right now. He's trying to make another movie with DiCaprio and De Niro and stuff. But like for that, yeah, because like the mafia, the mafia has been dead for a while. You know, Sopranos has been over for, you know, 13, 14 years. Yeah. So, yeah, the mafia is literally dead. It's over. The, so so that's what kind of that's kind of. Yeah, that's kind of what this movie feels like. It signifies. And I'm just glad that we got one last big party with all these. Hey, Harvey Keitel shows up in this movie. I mean, like all of the regulars show up and it's great. I mean, uh, what's his name was retired. Um, uh, Joe Pesci. Yeah, Pesci was retired. He was done. He done. was like done. He was out. Just when yeah. I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. 
Yeah. He's like, okay, don't worry. This time you're not going to be the over the top murderous guy. Oh, I'm, just gonna... I'm so disappointed that uh, that movie got a lot of Oscar nods, but it didn't win anything. And obviously I was rooting for my guy for Al Pacino to get one more Oscar. But like Joe Pesci in this movie is like transformative. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he's so good. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. He's so amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just a cool thing to see, right. To see that this thing happened. Cause exactly. easily it couldn't have, I mean, there was another, like he wanted, Marty wanted to do a movie about, uh, Oh, what's his name? Frank Sinatra. Mm. It's, it's not going to happen because the family are a bunch of. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh, he never, no Frank Sinatra never associated with the mob. Frank like, Sinatra and the mafia. What? And then you watch the Sopranos and like every episode, they're like worshiping Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Those were the guys. They, they would go to Vegas. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Why would he play in Vegas? All those shows must have been a coincidence. Die Vegas? What? <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, you know, just like yeah. like yeah, it didn't have anything to do with the fact that it was owned by the fucking mob. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they're in denial. So that that killed that movie. Unfortunately, that would have been basically like an Irishman kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, as someone who loves film, film history, like the Irishman is like. Like, yeah, and the guy, I forget who's the name of the writer. Uh, he's really Stephen Zalian. Zalian, yeah, Steve Zalian. He is he is an absolute talent. Um, yeah. This guy is he's the guy master. that you he's he's the guy that you draft to like make your masterpieces. He is a master. Uh, he is an yeah. absolute master of the craft. He, he, yeah, he wrote Schindler's List, I believe, and a couple mm-hmm. other movies. Yeah. Yeah, the night of he wrote and directed yeah. basically the whole miniseries. Very, very, very good. Love that miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, this is just one of those, you know, slam dunk, slam dunk, slam mm-hmm, dunk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> on every level. And again, it's just a miracle and I'm glad that it happened. It's it's one of like two or three stories, success stories of Netflix doing the things that and just like doing them right. Uh, like this one in Orson Welles' last film and like Ballad of Buster Scruggs is just like, let, we're just going to give you money and we don't really care what, what it does because it's going to look good for us. And the, it just feels good that this got made. Yeah. yeah, and they because you you saw that when they uh, in the theater like they did. they did a rollout yeah in L A. Um, mm-hmm. the, like mm-hmm. that was the theater they own right they showed it there. Uh, well, I saw it at the Egyptian theater, uh, so I didn't. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think like they what... do. I think they do own the Netflix, Netflix. I believe so. I did not know that. I believe so. Yeah, they own a couple. They they own a couple theaters in New York. They own a couple theaters in L A. I think that might be one of them. Yeah. Very interesting. Very cool. But yeah, uh, well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because and I, I told, I think I told you this story, but I don't know if I said it on a podcast before. But like, I was there in November when this movie came out, and they were like, "Yeah, next week we'll have Todd Phillips and Robert De Niro here, and they're going to talk about Joker, and they're going to be here. They're going to do like an hour long Q and A, and then we'll watch the movie on thirty five millimeter." And I was like, "Ah, you know, like I live in L A now. What's the big deal?" And then you yeah. know, a month later, coronavirus hits, and everyone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we never get to do those events. Yeah, we we, did, we don't get to do those events. Yeah, maybe yeah. ever. Exactly. Uh, at least uh, I, I saw some speculation. Now they're saying theaters should be back. So the, the best estimates are the end of 2021. Yeah. Right. It's like the best estimate. Like the that's best. the best case scenario. Yeah. More likely is um, the more conservative is 2024. Fuck. They said things will be, things will be, they said the box office will be back to basically 2019 in 2024. God damn. Yeah. No, I see it. I believe it. It's, it's wild, but yeah. So to put it in perspective. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I mean, 
you know, getting to see this this thing in theaters is like oh, it was it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I I've, of course I've seen it a couple other times. I saw it on Netflix because that's where it is. Uh, does not look that good to me. Uh, <laughs> 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 the, 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 that's the criteria. They yeah, did a criterion too. That's coming out. That's coming out at the end of the month, and uh, there's going to be like a uh, extended like they on on Netflix they posted because Netflix doesn't do bonus features usually, but they posted a couple things for the Irishman. They posted like a 15 minute like a uh, discussion basically with Marty De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino about it. But it feels a little short, and so on the Criterion Blu-ray that's coming out this month, they're going to have like an extended version of that uh, discussion, and I really am looking forward to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I yeah, I hope that they get everybody in there to talk about it because this is just such a you know. It's the, such gets, a once yeah once in a life literally once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get Z- get Zalian in there, get everybody exactly. Whoever yeah. the producer is, is did, did Thelma Schumacher cut this film? Yes, she did. Yes, yeah, she get her did. in there. Yes. Wild, absolutely it's like, wild. Just like they got the band together, right? They did. Yeah, they That's got a, everybody together to make this movie. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good when you can get one of those get the band together things. Yeah, it's just like why why do we make movies? Why do we care about them? Right? It's to do right. stuff like this. Like mm-hmm. what else is there what what else is there to love about it? And this? the only way that it got made is because this fucking tech company made a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, cuz so many other people backed out. They just backed I think Paramount backed Paramount, out. Every single studio said we're we're not making this. And they're not wrong because again, so many of the people that I know are just that they're just not that interested in, in seeing this is and certainly not in a the theater for three and a half hours. So in a way, again, this is just the best case scenario and I'm just glad that they got yeah. everybody in. And by um, Netflix's metrics, it seems like the film did well. Um, I think, I think it did, yeah. in terms of its originals, it was in the top 10 all time. They did a very good job marketing it, uh, which is uh, commendable. They did a very good job like pushing it and making sure that it's in everybody's faces, uh, which they knew that it was going to be. They knew they were going to get Oscar noms and they knew that they could push that thing. So, yeah. Yeah. They knew they had a winner on their hands and they, yeah, they, and and, and, like you said, it's like ready made, like the, it's like in a fucking formula bottle and you just have to, you know, make it. (laughs) Yeah. If if there is a, like, basically like a like a like a way of calculating the degree of success for a film and you say okay who's the director who are the actors right who's you know who's the behind the scenes who's, who's producing it who's, who's you producing know, it what are does he get like has he worked with these people before yeah yeah this this thing probably gets like a score of like in the high 90s out of 100 for sure of like yeah this is gonna this is gonna work out you know yeah it's gonna um, be expensive but we'll get whatever we need to get out of it yeah exactly it's expensive but you know relative to other things that aren't big ip it's a pretty good shot i mean it's basically as close to that as you can get for something that's not you get big name director big name actors big name in front of him behind the, the camera yeah i mean that that's you know without having to own fucking like batman or whatever like this is about as close right as you can get. That's true. Like owning an IP. The, and yeah, it's fucking weird though, because it's like all of these guys started making movies 45, 50 years ago and they became their own like cinematic universe. What? <laughs> I yeah. know. Because it's it is like the 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 like Avengers, like the it, Marty's it is, Avengers. It's, yeah, it's Marty's Avengers, a bunch of fucking old guys <laughs> yeah, you know, making all... hits on people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I forget. I was watching something like that. There's so many. The, there are a lot of kind of callbackish types. So this is what it was. I was watching Taxi Driver again a couple of days ago. Great. Um, and I, I was one thing that kind of struck me was like I don't know if you remember the scene where um, 
where where he he meets with his so his friend drives him and this guy the the what do they call him the out of town salesman or some shit like that oh to to get his remember that to get a gun yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um what really struck me about that scene is like it's very similar to the scene in the Irishman Mm -hmm, except mm -hmm. he's doing the whole thing in his head instead of having the salesman tell him like what gun to get. Mm-hmm, he does mm-hmm. the whole thing of like, well, I can't use the, cause this is a lady's gun. Right. But I can't use the shotgun cause that's too loud, but I can use this gun cause blah, blah, blah. And it just, I, I was really struck by how similar those scenes were just in my head. Like, Oh, like it's just all the self-referential stuff. Like yeah. on every level. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. For me, it, it it's always like the, some of the more like technical stuff, like the use of, again, just the use of the soundtrack to move us through the the period. I noticed that for the first time watching uh, The Wolf of Wall Street in theaters. And then I went back and I watched Goodfellas and I was like, oh, it's all there. Like, it's all there. Not that I hadn't seen Goodfellas before, but like I never picked up on some of the specific Marty things. And yeah, uh, yeah it's it's just great that it's all it's all there for this one. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, yeah, I just, you know, and it just, I don't know, it just makes me appreciate all of this stuff like this, Casino, Goodfellas, Mean mm-hmm. Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Like all these films are just so well done. And you just yeah. like, there's a, there's a high level of, of the craft that they put into it. And it Absolutely. Just has yeah. to be appreciated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> um, that's my number 87, The Irishman. The much cool, talked yeah. about, the much talked about on this, this I podcast. Look, you look forward Irishman. to talk about it again, fucking whenever. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! Man. Cool. Yeah. So I think we're on your number eighty-seven. Yeah, my number eighty-seven, cool. Uh, cool. which is uh, a goddamn classic, an American classic. Uh, you, you're talking about Bonnie and Clyde. I think the other kind of the the other, literally the other side of that is Easy Rider, uh, yeah. and that's my number eighty-seven. And uh, I love Easy Rider because it's a, again, it's one of those things. So first of all, I love Dennis Hopper. So, 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 so much for all of his mania and all of his just unbridled insanity that goes into everything that he makes. Uh, this just feels like a bunch of guys. And it, it is. If you read about how it was made, it's just a bunch of guys fucking around. Uh, they, they had some money to make a movie. They got this incredible cinematographer. Uh, I believe Laszlo, I forget his last name. Uh, Hungarian cinematographer, I think, who ended up shooting a lot of new Hollywood movies. Uh, what they call the new Hollywood. But like, again, for 1969, you've got, you had Bonnie and Clyde with the violence and then you had Easy Rider with everything else. You, with the language, the, the drugs, drugs, the, some of uh, there's some psychedelic there. stuff. Psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson is in this. <laughs> yeah. He is. Having, uh, has absolutely one of the greatest, like uh, ad libbed acid trip <laughs> monologues of all time. Uh, it's just worth seeing for all of those reasons. And I just love it because again, I, I like being, I like movies that, uh, I, I missed growing up. I missed the kind of romantic uh, movies of, of Hollywood, like the romantic era, the gone with the winds and stuff. I love, I still love those pictures, but they didn't affect me because I discovered them after stuff like easy rider and stuff like that. So like, they're very, very different. They're very theatrical and operatic and, you know, well-produced and easy rider is very sloppy and all over the place. And there's a scene at the end where they shot out of a helicopter and it's just like the shittiest looking thing ever, but they got a helicopter. So goddamn it, put a camera in it. Just like really DIY stuff in, in easy rider that I really, really, really uh, like, and it makes you feel like it's one of those movies that they show in film school, but it really does make you feel that like, you and your buddy can pick up a camera. Granted, your buddy has to be Peter Fonda, son of Henry Fonda, but like you and your buddy can pick up a camera and go on a road trip and just make a movie 
uh, and it had such an impact because it was just the culture at the time. It was just time, you know. We had all of these code-approved movies that were coming out, and then Easy Rider comes out and is just like, no, well, yeah, but this is actually what the what we're doing. This is actually what young people are into. It's smoking weed and driving bikes and you know having sex with girls. Like wild concept. I know. It's like imagine if every generation did that. But like we got to see that on the big screen, and it was like the biggest grossing movie of all fucking time when it came out. So. Yeah, it's it's but it's still worth watching, I believe. And it absolutely it's on my list for all of those reasons. You know, I just I love that this movie went out there and it just basically showed everybody like, hey, you know, it's it's like a day in the life. But, you know, for hippies <laughs> and uh, it's really cool. And uh, it, the soundtrack in it, you know, you got Steppenwolf and all this stuff is so iconic and so great. And I believe, again, like Bonnie and Clyde, if Easy Rider doesn't get made, we don't get all of the great, you know, the stuff that we like, you know, a lot of yeah. the the, the 70s 80s stuff like it just doesn't yeah. happen we we would still get we would still get like jaws and probably star star wars but we probably. don't get we don't get like you know the uh, like godfather we don't get uh, yeah we don't get oliver stone we don't yeah. necessarily get brian de palma we don't get some of these some of these just like out of left field kind of crazy <laughs> yeah 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 i mean yeah stuff like carrie right like stuff like that yeah right yeah. just like oh we can we can do this now we can just we can show you dicks We'll show you dicks. Yeah, we can we can do this, and it's popular. This is what yeah. they want. This is what people that age want. Exactly, and and it it, it 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 makes me seem like I don't just I just like ignored European films at the same time because like European films have been doing this forever. Like it's not just about Hollywood and the system, but it's it's a moment where this stuff came to Hollywood and then people paid for it and then Hollywood adapted and they were like, I guess we can say fuck now, you know, and then we we ditched the code, <laughs> which is great. Or yeah. we, at least, at least the the rating system, you know, kind of gets born out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing too about this film is the the biking culture in America had not been really depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like very well until this film, mm-hmm. or at least not like I think of like stuff like Kenneth Danger that comes to my mind. I think of like that Marlon Brando movie. Cool. The what is it? The Wild One. That's another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, there's something about like you know, there's a saying: America's an open road. Um, and I feel like this film lives very that. true, very true because it's different from every other fucking country, or at least every other country that makes these types of movies where it's so sprawling and it's mostly just dead space. So you just go, you know, and you can have all these, I mean, there's so many great road trip movies and I, this is like kind of the original, like, uh, the road trip movie with, you know, with, with some zing in it, you know, some, some kind of spiciness thrown in. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, instead of what it was, it, it, it happened one night and there's some, you know, the, the silly screwball comedy. This is like drugs, drugs. And yeah. Like the, all the, all the bikes. bizarro, all the weirdos and freaks that you encounter along the way. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a great film and it's again, yeah. Like, like it, it is a trailblazer of its era. For sure. Like this is this is one of those movies that I just uh, love. I just love having it on the background. I feel like as as disconnected by time and culture and space and time and, and all of this stuff that I am from the time period and from these guys. But like, it just feels good to to hang out with these guys. And Peter Fonda passed away last year. Mm-hmm. That was a great sadness because I love I love Peter Fonda. And mm-hmm. of course, Dennis Hopper was an even greater sadness for me, mm-hmm. especially once we see once we get further down the list. Uh, Dennis Hopper is going to keep creeping up quite literally. So yeah, I just, I just yeah. love this movie. Yeah. Those guys were like, and that's what's so cool about this era too. Right. Cause like you were talking about, uh, what was it? The rain people and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how there's just basically these great actors 
it just in the movie. Right. Doing right. these these bit parts or whatever. Because mm-hmm. that's just kind of what happened at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, like, you know, and this is the same thing. It's like Jack Nicholson, the great Jack Nicholson just shows up in this in this drug stoner road he, movie. <laughs> but he shows up because, you know, they're they're part of the same they know the same people. They're part of the same uh, you know, entourage basically. Like they they do this stuff off screen as well as they do it on screen, you know? <laughs> and so it's just awesome that out of, you know, they they finally got together and the movies became, I believe it just became more like they saw the European stuff going on and they figured out like handheld cameras exist. If they can do it, like why the fuck can't we do it on a budget, you know? And they did yeah. stuff like this and, and people saw it and they were like, go figure Jack Nicholson's an interesting character. Let's put him in movies. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel like this, this was a time period that's really so interesting because it was just anything kind of goes, mm-hmm. you know, Cause yeah. like, it's just a grab bag. It's like, yeah, let's take this European stuff. Let's like me and my friend, we're going to just like get some bikes. We're going to go down. Yeah. You know, I was like, we talked about five easy pieces, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the rain people. It's just like, it's almost like, and, you know, even Bonnie and Clyde, right. It's like all these movies, it's like, what is Hollywood going to be? And then just like all these, these ideas descended. They all just kind of hit at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they and- all just like, and then at the end of it, we're like, uh, well, blockbusters or whatever plus like the you know i mean the godfather is a blockbuster but that is a that that is a very that is a very arty film yeah. very arty very violent very yeah. different than what would be the blockbuster of the previous era you know like the ben hers and like this the big yeah. epics you know right 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 the fucking lawrence of arabia's yeah 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 that late 60s grab bag is like it's a very fun <laughs> I love it. Time. I love it. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite, absolute favorite periods in movies, uh, especially in Hollywood movies, American movies, because, again, they just they just finally opened up. Like, I feel like Hollywood has just been like b- holding back and they've just been like edging this entire time. I'm like, no, we can't show a kiss for more than four seconds. The, think of the children. And then finally, it just all of it explodes in violence and sex and drugs. And it's all out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good, it's some great stuff. Hal Ashby, another one of the guys. Hal Ashby is one of the great filmmakers. Yeah, Hal Ashby. Oh my yeah. god, like the yeah. stuff he he made. Woo. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. So I guess uh, now we're on number eighty six. I believe so. So yeah. my number eighty six is a Fellini movie. Hey. Uh, there'll be a couple of Fellini movies on my list. So this one is Federico. Yes, Federico Fellini, Knights of Cabiria. So Knights of Cabiria is about uh, what we find out is basically she's a prostitute and she's trying to make her way in this world. She's just looking for love, right? She's kind of the, this is kind of like the, okay. she, yeah, she's looking for love and, yeah. and, and all the wrong places, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And she's, uh, just, I've heard that tagline before. She's just looking for love. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, um, the problem for her is like, you know, no one wants to commit to her <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really interesting film. It's a very, it's a very tragic film. It's a very kind of sorrowful film and kind of sad, but uh, it's very beautiful and heartfelt and kind of warm. And it has a very, very beautiful ending um, where like the character, you know, bas- basically she's like, she tries to, to find love a bunch of times and she just gets screwed over again and again and again mm-hmm. and again. And then she's almost kind of done with it. And then she just has this cathartic moment that happens spontaneously. And it kind of lifts your spirits, and it's it's kind of one of those those moments that you know. It, I think everyone has those moments where you're just like you feel like shit, and then like you know something happens, like 
you know, I feel like people that own a dog or a cat, like you feel bad and then your dog like jumps on your lap or whatever. And you're just right, like, oh, right, right. I'm not sad. That, that's and, not- and you're, you're like, maybe there is a light at the end of the yeah. <laughs> I feel like this movie is like the, the ending is like the dog jumped on the lap and you're just like, <laughs> you know, you get this strong kind of score at the end and you're just like, you get emotional. You're like, yeah, life's not that bad, even though it sucks. Ah, uh, that's great. Yeah, that's how I would put Knights of um, Knights of Kiberia. It's a it's a beautiful film. It's really wonderful. Um, and cool. you know, yeah, she's the, this is like the hooker with a heart of gold story from the hooker's perspective. I guess is mm-hmm. the way I put it. Mm-hmm. That's what it usually, seems like. Yeah, yeah, because usually it's you know pretty women. It's I'm not sure if she's the protagonist or not. She might be, but I feel like there's a lot of the dude in that. In that well, movie. it's a yeah, it's about like because uh, ultimately the the. The hooker with the heart of gold thing usually ends up being like a, a fairy tale kind of an ending, like a Cinderella thing of like, yes, she has to meet the right guy mm-hmm. who pulls her out of her whatever, you know, her her depths of whatever she's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this mm-hmm. this sounds more like it's the character just realizing on their own, you know, kind of what their what their problems are. Yeah, she never I feel like the the thematic story for the character is like realizing that, you know, she's enough for herself. She can't she's not going to find that's a person awesome. who's going to complete that's, her. That's great. Yeah. That, you don't yeah. hear that many stories, at least not in the Hollywood uh, machine. Yeah. Back but, then, yeah. fucking back then in 57, Jesus Christ, women? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially like, you know, the, the hooker as protagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. How many of those do we get? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, when it's, especially when it's not like, because this movie, it's not like, oh, yeah, she stopped being a hooker and then she was good and then life was good. Right. It's like, no, she doesn't really, that doesn't really it's not like at the end of the film, oh yeah, she's now, you know, uh, a typist or something. No, she's mm-hmm. still the same. She's just happy with herself. That's great. That's, that's all. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like the European uh, perspective, I guess uh, on, on that as opposed to just everything needs to fit in these boxes and you can't do that because that's bad. And you know, God will smite you or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, you know, the church does exist, but I feel like, especially in European films at the time, it's it's it seems to me like they were a lot more open to exploring the kind of uh, just the stuff that people did. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's a it's definitely one I would recommend. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think he's 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 a great filmmaker. Fellini is a great filmmaker. Um, I don't like all of his films. There's some that I need to like Eight and a Half and La Dolce Vita and a couple other ones I need to rewatch because I watched them at a time and I don't know they just didn't sit sure. well enough with me. Sure. And I expect if I watch it again with more perspective, I think I'll feel differently about it. Yeah. Uh, but this was a film even at the time when I saw I probably saw this a long time ago um, when I first saw it. But it really impacted me strongly. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is a powerful film, beautiful film. Yeah, Fellini is definitely one of those filmmakers that is like more or less, especially if you attend any kind of like film school or film studies, like he's more or less shoved down your throat. Like, they've, here's the greats. This is one of the greats. And these are the films that you need to watch. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, there, here's eat your supper, eat your supper, exactly, exactly. And if, and if you're not in the right headspace or the right mood or whatever, you know, and you're just watching these things or you know, you're having a bad day or something, then I, you can totally, I can totally see how like it doesn't hit for you. So, like, definitely, like, rewatching some of the movies for some of the other filmmakers, like, has, has been a surprise for me. I'm just like, I like this a lot more than I thought I did. Like Citizen Kane is one of those that like I saw it the first time and because it it had been, I saw it in like 2012, I think. And that's when they were talking about like the greatest films of all time, Citizen Kane. And then I was like, it's pretty good. 
Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you rewatch it and you gain more context and you, you start to appreciate things about it personally. I feel like, yeah, it, it's hard with some of these great, great, great filmmakers. But this to me sounds like something I would really, really like. So I'm adding it to my list for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kane is definitely one that I feel the same way about The Irishman. I feel like for a lot of people, The Irishman is a film. I bet you there's there are people that imagine I just imagine like someone like you oh here's here's a scenario i think that would help with the irishman like you have a kid and your kid goes off to college and then you watch the irishman oh geez yeah right <laughs> yeah because it's like yeah that's that's gonna you're, hit you. you're yeah it, it hits differently it's gonna hit you differently then yeah than it would if you're a 25 year old and you're out on the street oh 100 uh, <laughs> percent. and you're just like i'm invincible you know yeah yeah, you watch Easy Rider when you're 25. <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. like, yeah, dude, I want to, I want to get a bike and smoke weed and go mm-hmm. from California to you know New York. Yeah, and just just bum it and see what it's like, see you know, see America. Right. Um, right. Yeah, because like though, especially Kane, Kane, I feel like there's there's a lot of I feel like the stuff with the media too in that film. Is oh, actually sure. Really yeah, I mean, we'll get to it. Oppression. Yeah, we'll get to it. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> we'll get to it. So yeah, that's my uh, number eighty-six. Nights of Kabir from very, Federico Fellini. Federico, very cool. Um, my number eighty-six is a San Francisco movie, and it's one of the great San Francisco movies. And uh, I didn't really realize how much I love San Francisco movies until I moved to San Francisco and I lived there for a couple of years. Uh, that city, like you said, is so goddamn cinematic. Like the hills, the hills, the yeah. the, the fact that it's like a, basically just a rock surrounded by like other rocks and like a coast uh and there is like a rock that happens to be a prison nearby like that's <laughs> yeah. and, and the only thing connecting in and out of this thing are like highways basically like this thing's isolated it's very like you could do so much in san francisco and uh this is one of the great films um i saw this when i was a kid in romania and it and i had no concept of what 70s movies were but this movie like this the just the setting of it and some of the establishing shots that they use it made me feel like, oh, that's that's this doesn't feel like all of the other America movies that I've seen, even though it's very much the same kind of plot. Uh, number 86 is Dirty Harry. Uh, I love Dirty Harry. And I, I just I was if nothing else, I had to get a Don Siegel movie on here. Uh, so Dirty Harry is basically the one it opens up. Everybody knows that iconic uh, scene. Uh, with the you know the he's in the diner and then these guys come in there's a there's a car that crashes through a fire hydrant and he chases down the perps whatever um there's all that in, in the movie but really so it's about detective harry callahan and the zodiac uh, not the zodiac killer uh, but basically the it's, same kind it's, of it's basically it's that the, right it's the, the zodiac scorpio killer. it's the zodiac killer it's the zodiac killer so it's, it's a san francisco movie through and through because of those reasons um Clint Eastwood, of course, well known for his love of the uh, West Coast of California. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a San Francisco just, guy, basically. He's a San Francisco guy, basically. Yeah, and this movie just hits. Um, it feel it's because Dirty Harry is one of those movies that spawns. Everybody knows the one-liners, and everybody knows like the just like the no fucks given, the shit kicking character of 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 uh, Harry Callahan and Clint Eastwood. Right by extension, and this is of course his first movie where he breaks out of those westerns that he'd been making with Sergio Leone, and he basically has just been making westerns. And for the Hollywood studios, he'd been he did a fucking musical uh, western, right? Uh, to have paint your wagon or whatever. That thing's a disaster. But uh, I'm big big Clint Eastwood fan. But um, 
this is the one where like he gets to play something else and he kind of really falls into it like the the no fucks given you know uh, the the hard-boiled detective with nothing to lose or whatever um so this spawns a lot of shittier movies but i feel like dirty harry on its own is a very very well-made film uh the sequels are whatever you can say you know magnet like the sequels are good they're all set in san francisco they all look the part but this one feels more like an honest kind of a film as opposed to just trying to repeat those tropes of those characters and those types of things uh and for that reason like i really like and again i just i love the work that don siegel did with clint eastwood he's like one of his main mentors basically don siegel uh they made escape from alcatraz and a couple other movies together um, but this is the one again, like where the Clint Eastwood character, like the archetype kind of yeah. comes into being and then it gets ripped off and it gets diluted through the years, I feel like. But Dirty Harry like stands on its own. He's he's no nonsense, you know, he's a tough cop, whatever. He's got a very strict set of morals. He's got like a moral code that he works by that he operates by, which I think is really interesting for this type of guy. Uh, like he calls out people on like racist shit, sexist shit. Like he 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 calls them out in in these movies, <laughs> and, I, and, and I like that about him, you know, because he could just be like a Charlie Bronson where it's really really low rent and he just goes around shooting people because that's the movie. But uh, it's a little more intelligent than that, uh, and the, the cinematography, like the the cityscapes and the uh, the like that. I forget exactly the locations, but like all of the locations they shoot in in this movie, there's that great scene with the with the bus where Scorpio hijacks a bus full of school children, and uh, it's like this intense kind of like race against the clock to get them. Uh, it's really well made, really really smart thriller, Pro- probably the first of its kind of like a smart thriller. Again, this is '71, I think, mm-hmm. uh, so this is right where you know the studios were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna show blood and tits, and we're gonna have a tough guy shooting people in the head, and that's mm-hmm. fine." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels good. It feels so good, and it's a yeah. smart movie, uh, and it holds up, I believe, wholeheartedly. I love Dirty Hair. Yeah, Dirty Hair is a good one, especially for the time period. You know, it just like it had the might, like the fact that it was about this, basically the Zodiac Killer. They mm-hmm. renamed him, but it's about the Zodiac Killer. Yeah takes place in San Francisco. You got this guy who's this, you know, it's almost like it came out of the ether because right. Like like the Zodiac killer had a profound effect on people in the Bay Area. Yeah. I mean people were fucking scared. People were scared, you know? <laughs> and it's almost like, yeah, the only person who can get the Zodiac killer is this psycho. We need Basically, to hire this psycho. It, it takes it takes a psycho to catch a psycho. I mean, how many times have you have you seen that in movies since, right? Um, what's the yeah. lethal weapon? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Many, 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 many others. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those roles where um, I, I was on another podcast and we had discussions about this, about are there certain people, are there certain roles where you can't have anyone else in the role? I feel like Cal- I feel like this is one where I don't know if there's really anyone else that really works. Does Charles Bronson really work? Mm. No, nah, it, it would be, it would be a different move. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Clint yeah. has a very, like, very specific kind mm-hmm. of attitude, yeah. Or, like, who else would be up for this? Like, Tom Selleck, something like that? Well, I think they wanted Steve McQueen, if I remember correctly. Steve McQueen, yeah. Sure, but he's a little too cool. A Steve McQueen, know? so, like, I don't know if we're going to talk about Bullet, but Bullet is one I feel is a little analogous to this. It is. But it the is. difference in Bullet is, like, he's very cold in that movie. Mm-hmm. Very cold. And it's almost like he doesn't care. It, yeah. It's almost like yeah. you know. He, I feel like the the Clint Eastwood stuff is like it's it's he he wants he wants to get the guy. Oh, he's 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 maniacal he about guy. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 pissing off everyone along the way. Yeah, yeah. 
to, yeah. to get the job done. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this is one of those, like, you could have someone else in the role, but it wouldn't work as well. Exactly. Like you well. could, you could have someone else in the role and it would still be a, a good movie, but I feel like it would just be forgotten. Like there's just something about, like, like you said, and from the ether and the, and what became is just, you see a dirty Harry poster or at least a clean Eastwood poster with a fucking Magnum in his hand in every college dorm across the country. Like right now, every fucking 20 year old has got a clean Eastwood poster still. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's something about it that just really, really worked. And again, it was the relationship between these guys, um, the director Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. Like they really wanted to make something new and and special. Yeah, and they did. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a great one. Uh, especially like in the the Lucian, <laughs> you know, it's a very right? Lucian film. It is, yeah, it's a very <laughs> Lucian kind of film. Yeah, it's, it's got all it's these great of- elements to it. You know? It's got everything. It's got everything. You know, all, all I really, really want is dirty characters, some dirty alleyways. Like I need at least one or two dirty alleyways. Uh, I need someone to, I need someone to bleed out, be shot and killed. Uh, you know, I need like some elements of uh, psychological stuff. I'm good. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want out of my movies. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Um, yeah. All right. So I think we're, we're at number 85. 85. So for me, my number 85 uh, is a Christopher Nolan movie, Interstellar. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Although this one doesn't have the blah. No, this one, doesn't. this one has. Um, I think we talked about it before, but Hans Zimmer is definitely doing a Philip Glass in this. Yeah, in this, yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is straight up Philip Glass, and a lot of, and it's great. It is a beautiful, beautiful, haunting score. In yeah, this ha- Hans Zimmer is the emotional uh like the the score is is what injects the emotion in this movie more than anything else you can yeah, have I, people crying on screen that's great but the score is what really fucking sells it yeah yeah i think i think there is the one scene when he like when he gets back from the mission that failed and he sees his family growing up and he just can't you know oh, he's, yeah, he's missed sure. it i think that works and i almost think that's like the best most emotional scene he's ever done yeah. Oh, Ever. for sure. Ever. For sure. I think so too. And I think uh, even if you just uh, ex- zoom out a little bit and just say like, this is the most emotional film he's ever done. Probably. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Um, I mean, again, Nolan, you know, he doesn't really emotions. About family. <laughs> You've seen Tenet, right? Like, like we, yeah. let's, let's just, let's just, I just want to just to give a contrast so that we can understand like, I think why Interstellar is a really, really great film to me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like why contrasting with Tenet, because he's he's a, he's approaching these things the same way, but one doesn't work, and I think mm-hmm. one does work pretty well. Yeah. So in Tenet, the he literally the main character is called the protagonist. Doesn't have a name. Yeah. yeah. He's 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 like uh, in a video game. He's the uh, he's the he's the guy that you play that doesn't have like a voiceover. That is just a vessel for the player to like learn about the world and like do the things, but everybody's speaking at you and giving you the exposition. That's, that's the vibe I got from Tenet. Yeah. And so there's this character. So how can we connect with this character? We don't know his name. He's called the protagonist. Well, you don't know his name because there's a plot twist. (laughs) And I don't know, like Tenet to me feels like a completely plot driven, calculated, methodical kind of film. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it, like a lot of the stuff work. It's like the ideas are crazy. They're really cool. 
but you it's, feel it's, nothing. It's like the, it's like the clock. Uh, it's like the clock. The guy. What, what do you call like the the guys that work on clocks? Basically, he. It's like the 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 fucking clock master just making the most insane schematic. He's got like his Leonardo da Vinci fucking symmetrical yeah. things out, and he's just like plotting everything along the way. Yeah, that's tenet to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the that that's maker. a good that's that's a good analogy. He's a clockmaker. He's yeah. made this super articulate clock that has yeah. all these different. Um, I forget if there's a name for it, but like the different things that a clock can do, like if it has different times and mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. It has all this stuff, but I'm looking at this thing and I feel nothing from it. I feel yeah. nothing. I'm just like, well, that's that's a nice clock. That it is that's a, a it nice is clock. A... It is a yeah. Beyond my uh, beyond my abilities, even to comprehend how how nice of a clock it is, I just recognize that it's really nice. There, Tenet has basically no emotional core. He attempts to do one with one of the he side tries. characters. Oh God, fucking yeah, he tries. And it's not even the main character. So, like in this yeah. film, at least the protagonist Cooper, he is the central, you know, emotional core of the film. Yeah, it's all right, him. All right, all right. It's, <laughs> It's it's the the fact that his he he has to leave his daughter and then he regrets it and then he finds out that he was betrayed yeah. by this organization by by NASA by Dr. Brand just basically lied to him and said yeah you're going off on a mission and you have no chance to ever see your daughter again you won't sorry I didn't tell you that because I needed to lie to get people to do this thing for us because I think that's the only way to save humanity and if he knew that he would have never gone on this whole crazy mission in the first place right and that. You know, that can connect with people. That actually makes you like, okay, I'm seeing. And again, I love the space stuff in this. It is so oh, yeah. beautiful. Sure. It is so, so beautiful. Like the shots of space and they go past Saturn and the and the endurance. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where they go into the wormhole like that. And just when they see the wormhole, like it's unbelievable. Um, and the scenes when they see Gargantua, the, the supermassive oh, yeah. black hole. It's, it's absolutely some of the best science fiction ever put on film. Ever. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. It, it, if his uh, his mission, I believe, from like a uh, uh, like filmmaking standpoint, one of his missions was to just do as much two thousand one as he could, right? Make it all practical, and he fucking nailed it. I can't think of another movie since two thousand one that like went as hands on with this types of stuff, and he shot it all on IMAX, and it looks incredible. Yeah, uh, on this level, I don't think there's anything. I think you know something similar would be like. Gravity, but gravity is not like Interstellar or 2000. No, gravity. Well, yeah, gravity is trying to do something else entirely. Yeah, yeah, it's just trying to be a small story that you know uses sort of like the Some one take kind of thing. Trickery, yeah, mm -hmm. like a very highly technical, uh, yeah, precise filmmaking. But this is like massive scale, big ideas, big you know, big ideas, big sets, big movements, big. Again, there's there's a little bit of that clock uh, clockwork in there. Yeah. Yeah, but this one there to me, there's more there than just there just is. the clock. There is, but I do have to say though, um, everybody that I spoke with, especially like uh, younger people, like because uh, when I went to San Francisco State, I was a lot older than uh, like my roommates and a lot of other people, and they had seen Interstellar. Obviously, it was a big pop product that they consumed. Uh, and everybody across the board just makes fun of the Murph. Don't leave the Murph. So like there is an element to even the the most honest like family character driven story that he's probably ever told. There's an element of it that gets memed out of existence because of how hard he hits you over the head with it at the end. And, you know, he's just like, you will care about this. Yeah. And like, I agree with you. I think it's a 
relatable and it's a good story and it's a great device. But I feel like ultimately what the idea for this movie was, okay, so relativity, right? How do I make relativity like relevant to audiences? Well, what if the character travels through time in totally legit physics ways and we'll show them how that works, but like he misses out on his family or some shit like that. Like, I feel like he appro <laughs> like they approached it from a more mechanical way of like relativity is really fucking cool. How do we put that in a movie? Also, how do we make that like emotionally relevant or whatever? And that's kind of what the story they came up with. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what it seems like to me. It you can tell that he like that's not like, the that's not his thing. The emotional like creating the emotional thing in the film that's not what he cares about. Right. It just feels like that wasn't the starting point. Whereas in some other movies, it always starts with a character or a conflict or whatever. His starting point was like physics, space, Kubrick, and then they came with they came around to a really cool, relatable story about how you know you age when you're this far away and whatever. But yeah, I. I I, I think he just he he should keep trying at it because um, I think he can get there. I believe, like I said, insomnia, I think he he's very close to getting it when he's not just bogged down by the big ideas that he has, which is like counterintuitive. But that's what it seems like. Yeah, because he's just so obsessed with with making the clock. Right. Yeah, making sure so every fucking good at it too. every like said, instrument, you know. Like Dunkirk, you said, like that 4K print of uh, or like transfer of Dunkirk is incredible. It's it's unbelievable. It's, it's un unbelievable. Yeah. Like completely, yeah. it almost completely changed my my view of the film. Like at first, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's it's cool. This is nice. Did now you I'm get like, to see that one? Uh, did you see that one in IMAX or whatever when it came out? I don't think I saw it in IMAX at the time. If it came out, if it came out now, I would have seen it in IMAX. But at the time, I probably saw it just in like a 35 millimeter. Okay, I saw Dunkirk on 65, and it it was like unfuck withable. Like it blew me away. That was like it. That was it. That was one of those things where I was just like, like, all right, like fuck, like what more do you want? I get it. Like you're, you're unfuck withable. You're the guy who's going to build the clock. Like Jesus dude, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Even, even Dunkirk, I feel like is a little bit more, he, he does like, again, that's a human conflict story. Right. I think that he does well, the conflicts, yeah. yeah, because it's a yeah. war. I think he even does that kind of kind of well there, yeah. too. Um, even though, again, he's he he's got the time fetish, and so he's like, hmm, how yes. can I? Oh yes. So if you're a soldier, your time is different than if you're on a boat than if you're on a plane. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah, he yeah. was into. That that was that was what he cared. Again, again that's it, what he cares about, right? Exactly. It feels to me like he's researching these topics, and he's he finds the thing. He. <laughs> Oh, they they counted time differently. Ooh, you know, or like Interstellar is like time works differently when you're in space. Ooh, <laughs> where instead of just being like, I want to write a story like, about a dad and his time, daughter. If time goes backwards, ooh, you know? yeah, but like it's all connected. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 but like Tenet, it's so bad. It is so bad the way he tries to to shoehorn in. Like, there's a scene where like. Um, what's his name is Neil. The Neil character is explaining like oh, yeah. how 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 basically how the MacGuffin is going to end the world, and then he's like, "Yeah, it's going to end the world," and she's like, "Oh, and it'll kill my son." <laughs> yeah, I remember. No, no, no. it's going to end the world. That includes your son and the world, <laughs> the world. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like it's just like it's like why why. Why do you well, because, need to, to try I mean, to if, do that? If, if we don't have her and her son, what else do we have? We have the protagonist <laughs> and and 
Twilight Boy and the the, the six the, foot five woman. <laughs> the protagonist's only conflict in that movie is trying to help her out and her son. Yeah, dude, and it's it's like, why does he want to help her? That's it's never kind, really it's, explained. It's, it's kind yeah. of yeah, it's never explained, and it's there's no, not even like a, a shitty a callback to like a memory that he has of like when he was a child, like some kind of device. There's not even any yeah, of that. Not only is it not explained, but it, it's it's brought up at the end of the film, like. Neil asks the last thing Neil asks him is like, "Are you gonna help her?" And he says, "No." Which is again, that's the, something that they do establish, which is that <laughs> the first the first uh, thing of tenet is always lie. Right. Do not tell the truth because withholding information is power. Yeah. Um, so he lies to him, but he's gonna do it. But what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know why he wants to help her. I don't. I don't. I don't know. There's no emotion. Right. There's no emotional yeah. like connection made about why he wants to do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, but you're right. You're right, and like I like I think we've we've agreed on this. Like Interstellar is for sure the one that is probably hits the closest. But I think I think I still think they stumbled upon it. They didn't start with I'm going to write a, a daddy daughter story. They started with relativity. Um, but it but yeah. it works probably the best out of out of most of his films. Yeah, I think. Well, he always starts with the big clock, right? Yeah, and he's and he's like, so first thing he does is okay, I'm going to create all the pieces for this clock and all of the different iterations. Okay, so now how do I then create the emotional iteration that works right. within this clock? Right. And sometimes it's okay. <laughs> sometimes it's a disaster. Sometimes it's, you know, above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's a plot guy. Yeah. He's a plot guy, but he he does it really well. Yeah. He does it really well. That's why that's why he's a great. Um, but you yeah. know, it's definitely a weakness in his game. Mm-hmm. Um, plus the sound design, but you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love that headline where that came out that I sent you. It was just like he's had directors call him that were just like, "What? Why? What the fuck?" <laughs> like your your sound. I forget what exactly what it was. It's just like your sound is like in like we're disgusted by this. <laughs> yeah. What's well, funny too about it? Um, he obviously doesn't care. He just doesn't care. That's no, just a thing for yeah. him. He's yeah. like, don't listen because I just want you to consume the plot, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Plot. And he also, I think, I guess he thinks like it's more natural if you know if if two people are on a boat and you can't hear them. It's like, yeah, well, that's how life is. You're not going to hear two people on a boat talking. Sure. Um, just enjoy the <laughs> enjoy enjoy the IMAX image. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think well cuz I think there's a there's a level of like he wants you to keep digging and keep discovering and figuring it out like over repeat viewings which is fine but I think a shitty way to do it is to just withhold information <laughs> up front. <laughs> and like Tenet is such a perfect example of that because there is so much plot. Yeah. There's like that scene that scene um on the boat which you can't hear. <laughs> I don't know if the plot is really important, but it, it is, it, it uh, does sort of explain it, something that it does. Is, no, it totally does. I, I, again, I saw it like a couple months after you did. And like, I could kind of hear what they were saying. Cause you said they like fixed that. Uh, and it was really important stuff, but it was very, very hard to hear. Yeah. And I mean, they're like that tenant tenant is such tenant is such a perfect example of like an overly plot driven film. And that just makes it so much worse because, like, there's so many moments. Like, there's a moment later on where, and it's like you would never. I feel like you would never pick it up on the first, the first try. Where he he leaves a microphone in a box, mm, mm-hmm. and then he records the villain saying something, mm-hmm. and then he hears it, and then he plays it back like twice in the film. 
Yeah. And that actually is an important plot point for like what happens later. But you're at that point, you're just like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what's I, going on. I couldn't even hear it. Yeah. I couldn't understand what. Yeah, exactly. You won't even hear it. And it's like, it's like, dude, there's so much plot. It's just like plot, 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 plot. And it's just like, you know, dude, you're lost halfway through. Like, I don't know where I'm at anymore. <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah let's let's fly into the 747 into something like so i can get back up to speed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but it's cool I, I i like interstellar a lot too yeah yeah so yeah it's interstellar i and i just love like the the fact that he used his ability as an a-list director to try and make this type of uh high like a High sci-fi, like not like the fantasy Star Wars kind of stuff. Yeah, this is, yeah. This like is he like, gets really into the details, into the like minutia of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like trying to do something that could happen in real life as close as you can while also like making a film that is narratively satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like, you know, well, again. It's I'm satisfying sure. until the very end where he just like, cool, I made it. Uh, I gotta go find what's her face on another planet. Peace out, bitches! Like that. Well, his really daughter, out of it. daughter tells tells him to do it. Yeah, she tells him to go. It's yeah. That whole scene could have. There's been- just there's a lot of preamble of yeah, him crying for two hours, and then he just kind of like ends. I don't know. But again, it's all part yeah. of the the way that you but, know. So he for does me, um, I don't really care about that. Like, it's definitely a flaw. Yeah, but like I. I'm not, I'm not in it for, you know. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm just saying, like, if we're critiquing yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically oh, of course. the story. Yeah, 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 Of course. But we're always going to know going into a Nolan film that the characters are going to be hella flat. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. the characters are flat, like, flat as a mm-hmm. pancake. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to get some some strong plot and some, like, very, like, very well thought out plot points. Like, yeah. the way that he is going to give you the story is going to be masterful. Always, yeah. always masterful. And, like... He's been over it and over it again and again and again. Like in Tenet, the plot is great, actually. Like when you understand all the ideas. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And like he's so good at taking these big ideas like Inception and, and, and all the stuff in Interstellar. Like these are big ideas and like making them consumable for people in a narrative. Yes, yes. Is that, is not a, that is a skill. No, that is a skill for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And especially using yeah. the film language. Like you got to know, like you got to know what you're doing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Interstellar. Uh, I think this is the first Nolan film on my list. So okay, cool. that's at think, my number eighty-five. Yeah, I think uh, you you got Interstellar. I got Insomnia. We so, got Nolan on the on the board. <laughs> yeah, Nolan's on the board. Yeah, as is Don Siegel. Yes, I so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. So uh, what's your number eighty-five? Number eighty-five is Kevin Smith's Dogma. Oh yeah. I really, really love this movie. This is one of those movies. Okay, so a little bit of background. Uh, my family, super, super, super religious. A very, very religious background. Uh, this movie basically sets out to not necessarily lampoon, but like really just poke hard at all of the tenets, no pun intended, and all of the things of uh, about Catholicism, right? Because Kevin Smith grew up Catholic, and this is just him kind of like, Again, not necessarily making fun of it, but just kind of really, really, really just poking at it and taking the piss out of the whole thing and just pointing out how kind of absurd uh, some of the some of the stuff is. Uh, but I think he does it in a really tasteful way. I mean, it, it's very OK. So it, it is very sacrilegious if you come at it from like a super purist point of view. Uh, f- for example, uh, my family grew up uh, not grew up, whatever. I grew up uh, the Pentecostal Christian. 
And so my family is still and very much is Pentecostal Christian. And uh, it's not anything like Catholicism, but there's, you know, Jesus and some of those things like they're just not you don't mess with that stuff. And then we picked up this movie from Hollywood Video. Again, the only one that existed in Romania at the time, popped it in. And in the first couple uh, minutes of the movie, Alan Rickman shows up. He's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an angel. And then they start talking about dicks. And then he, he and then in the restaurant, you know, Alan Rickman drops his pants and he's like, no, no, no like we don't have the, the God fucking hates us because he didn't give us genitals. And then he pulls down his pants and he's just like this dickless angel in the middle of the, the cafeteria or sorry, the restaurant. And then my parents just turned it off immediately. They were like, this is filth. This is trash. We are not watching the rest of this. And of course, the first thing I did is I try to find a way to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> and I did. And it was awesome. And I kept rewatching it. And I every time I rewatch it, it's it's actually like it gets it's like smarter every time because some of the some of the 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 dialogue scenes that they have between uh, so Matt Damon and Ben Affleck which there's again this is kind of like an Irishman situation that it's working on so many different levels because he meta narratively like you got Affleck and Damon and you know they basically are created because Kevin Smith gives the goodwill hunting script to uh Harvey Weinstein or whatever <laughs> Um, so he gets them in this movie and they have, uh, they're, they're both fallen angels and they have all of these great, like genuinely interesting, like, uh, religious and philosophical mm-hmm. debates while they're like killing people in this movie. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's a road movie. It's got Jay and Silent Bob in it. It's got a really, really great, like the, the main kind of protagonist of this movie. Uh, I forget, I forget what her name is in the movie. Linda Fiorentino's character. Uh, she has this, like, she's a Catholic and she has this, uh, struggle inside of her because she's uh, trying to it's something about abortion i don't remember exactly but like there's just a lot of religious conflicts in this movie and they're all like they come across as sincere and again he's not like making fun of it necessarily but he is making fun of it and uh, everything just kind of comes to a head and there's like a whole end of the world thing and you got you know your buddy christ meme and you've got uh yeah. the angels of death you know are, are coming and they have this like religious war at the end that i feel like this is probably the best most realized kevin smith movie out of all of them you could you could argue chasing amy but that's like a still on a smaller indie level this has kind of got a little more of the budget it's got a lot of really great names in it it's got it's very funny it's got a lot going on it's kind again it's a road movie about these stoners who are escorting this woman and she is like the chosen one to save the world from ending or whatever. And then there's these two demons or sorry, fallen angels that are trying to bring about the end of the world and killing everyone along the way. But it's, it's all in the dialogue. Like Kevin's movies are for me all about dialogue and it's so smartly written because it doesn't outright come out and say, you're wrong. You're stupid for believing in this stuff. It just kind of plays out that way. And I think that's really smart, but I can totally see how this offends a lot of people, especially fundamentalists. But really, it pokes fun at fundamentalists more than like, I feel like even a Christian with an open mind can see this movie and and find something funny about it. Like the the Golgothan, the shit monster, you know, there's like a there's like an offhanded comment of like, yeah, you know, like when people died on the cross, like obviously, you know, their bowels evacuated. And so they rolled down the mountain and then there's a shit demon, you know, like. You can you can make that make sense, and he does, and uh, it's very funny, and I fucking love Dogma, and uh, that's why it's on my list. Yeah, I think I, I really like that film too. It's really fun. Um, it's very funny. He's he's got this like you know we think of Tarantino as like a dialogue master, but he's very good at he's writing. Very good. He's very good. Like there's I think isn't the opening scene Matt Damon talking a 
nun out of being religious. Yeah, 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 yeah. That scene is really good. No, because it's, that it's, that's some real like philosophy of religion there. Yeah, it's he the, plays it for laughs. He plays it for laughs, but it's it's a real like kind of Socratic debate in a way. Yeah, it's it's but that's the whole movie, especially the Damon and the Affleck characters. That's the whole movie. Like they're genuine, like. Uh, exercises like philosophical exercises that they work through in the context of this wacky, crazy, insane comedy. Uh, and I love that because he doesn't really do that in any of the other movies. For most of the time, they're just like non sequiturs or they're like dick jokes or, you know, 37 <laughs> dicks. I'm number 37. Like that yeah. stuff is great. Or but arguments this, about like Lord of the Rings versus Star Wars. Ex exactly. You know? But this feels like it, it comes from, like he's working this stuff out for himself like he's got all these conflicting points of views and he's making these characters say these things uh, and it's just like in a really really funny context yeah yeah and you know i he does a really good job of like making you think about all kinds of stuff i remember there's one what's the there's like the that 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 fast food chain like the oh, movie mo the movies yeah yeah movies don't they do a massacre at a movie place or something i i, I believe remember. i believe that they they do a massacre there because it's like they they say oh well this is uh oh, the, the angels yeah the angels yeah, yeah. they're like this it's is in, in the <laughs> it's, in the, it's the boardroom for movies board right <laughs> yeah 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 and then matt damon has an incredible um basically a monologue where he just point, he talks to these corporate executives and he just breaks down level by level why the corporate are more evil than them you know <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like fucking you all should die and burn in hell you know? <laughs> it's yeah like there's just so many levels of this film it's like chris rocks in the film right mm -hmm. he's like the apostle or he's the apostle he's the, he's, the, he's the apostle that they didn't write about because he was black yeah, yeah, just like so <laughs> funny. It's like, dude, yeah. this is so funny. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, you got Jay and Silent Bob, and is it God is? Oh, who plays God in this? Movie? Uh, Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just like yeah. so funny. And oh, George Carlin's in this movie. George Carlin's in this movie. Really gets, funny he people. Gets, he gets killed by someone, right? At some point. I think so. Yeah, he plays like he's like the head of the Catholic Church in New Jersey or something. Yeah, New Jersey. <laughs> they come and, yeah. and they have this massacre because he did the Buddy Christ. He created. The yeah, Christ yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we need a friendly Christ, and they're like, no, that's wrong. That's <laughs> the <laughs> so, yeah. That movie. That's a good one. That's that's a really and he like you said he really dives in to those subjects in a real way. Yeah, with fart it's, jokes and dick jokes and you know silly stuff. On the on the periphery, always, yeah. But I think it's it's definitely probably the smartest. Uh, it, it's yeah. It's not all. It's not all cheap. It's not cheap, uh, and that's what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, so that was your eighty-five. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dogma. Okay. Yeah. So my number eighty-four. This is a Sidney Pollock directed film. Uh, this is a film, a very, very, very dark, depressing film. They shoot horses, don't they? Ah, okay. <laughs> this this is a yep. dark one. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, and I'm sure I'm sure there's not a, there's a lot of people who haven't seen this film. So this film is about uh, so during the Great Depression, these this guy this, this uh, MC he uh, called Rocky. He creates this um, contest for fifteen hundred dollars, yeah. and it's like you basically you have to dance. The last person standing in this dance off wins this prize. Mm -hmm. And the film is basically an allegory for the desperation of poverty. Yeah. Uh, and the film is, it, it is harrowing and you just like, it's so bleak. It's so kind of horrific. It's uh, like, like, like the people that you run into, like there's like uh, one of the main characters, 
she's like she wants to be uh an actress in hollywood and you can just tell that oh yeah she knows she knows she's never gonna it's just it's just not in the cards for some it's people. not in the cards for yeah. you period yeah. and you know you your your life deterministically is just gonna be you you're born and then you die yeah uh there's a pregnant woman in this contest a pregnant woman mm -hmm. Uh, and you know the what's what's interesting too. Again, like this is you know I feel like these are stuff that comes up a lot. The media, the way mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. this media figure manipulates people to do this desperate. Like the thing that comes to my mind is like the crab mentality kind of shit. Like when you see crabs in a bucket and they're just grabbing for each other, won't let anyone get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what comes to my mind. And this, this guy is it's like putting people, putting humans in a situation where they are desperate and they just do desperate and depraved things uh and the and the film you know there's no la la sunshine happy happy joy joy no no nope. your dreams are crushed your hopes are crushed you have existential dread uh there's this great line at the end of the film where she says the whole world is like central casting and they got it rigged before you showed up yep just it's and so dehumanizing too it just feels like this whole thing it feels like you're dehumanizing people and you're take you're taking away their humanity and just making them like i don't know you know it's funny too that like this comes out and is like critically acclaimed and you know people are like wow yeah this is really what it's like anyways moving on next audition <laughs> like it's it's funny cuz you know i i uh, i'm a big sydney pollock fan i'm glad you brought this one up um because I have seen this movie, but it was a long, long, long time ago. But I remember thinking like, yeah, this is another one of those movies that came out at, towards the end of the 60s or the 70s or whatever. Um, that was like a very, very like kind of expository and like just kind of revealing the seedy underbelly <laughs> of of this thing. And, and uh, I really like that about it. And especially for the time it came out is pretty big deal. Yeah, this was this was a strong film. And again, it kind of connects with me because there's so many things like kind of realize in life like there are some times where where human beings are put into situations where they become uh destructive mm -hmm. and this sort of highlights that state of human like like that's there's a that's a part of the human condition like if you get a person and you deprive if they just don't you know by whatever it is they don't have enough to live and survive or whatever and you put some ideas in their head you can set them off to do horrible things and it's just you know it's, it's yeah You'll you'll be surprised how how low a human can go. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and this is just a microcosm of that. Like people are basically torturing themselves for fifteen hundred dollars in this movie. Well, and and uh, it's funny because like it's uh, it was pertinent then. It's it's certainly pertinent now. I mean, people do a lot of a lot of crazy shit for fifteen hundred dollars today in like today money, you know, like there's so many things, especially after, you know, being around it for about a year now, I'm going to say like, I see it, all of it. Like there's, they're exploiting, for example, like young people, uh, will give you a copy and credit and, uh, you'll do it for the passion, you know, and they basically use you, they'll use you, they'll get, they'll have you work 12 hour days back to back to back for no pay just for the, for the, because you're passionate about it. Right. Like, and it's not just like for, for film, it's like writers, you know, there's all these websites who they get all these people to write articles for them and stuff and they'll publish them and they'll get all the clicks and all the money for, so that they give them exposure, right? You're doing everything for exposure. And so like the economy of it is kind of shifted, but it's all kind of the same thing. Like it's all about exploiting, making people that like have all of these hopes and dreams and, uh, exploiting that and giving them kind of false hope on purpose sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, this is, this is very pertinent. I think this one. Yeah. It's super pertinent and it, it's, 
you know, the film, the film opens with them killing a horse, hmm. shooting a horse in the head while also kind of um, initiating us into the, 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 the actual story itself, which is this, this contest. Yeah. And then it ends with this very dark conversation between these two characters after they've kind of failed to live their dream. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I got to rewatch it again because I love, I love a downer ending. I, I love depressing movies clearly. <laughs> um, I get like mad when uh, Hollywood comes in in the second half of basic instinct and like, maybe they'll fall in love. I'm like, no, I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I definitely want to rewatch this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a really good one. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's super harrowing, very tragic, but it's true to, you know, a certain part of the human condition. And that's why the film works. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So yeah, that's my <laughs> number eighty four. They shoot horses, don't they? Cool. I can take you. I can take you lower than that. I can. Yeah. I can bring it. I can bring it yeah. down into yeah. the <laughs> I can bring it down. Go um, lower, man. Go lower. <laughs> so yeah, out of um, out of the again, just there's a couple filmmakers. There's like probably ten to twenty that I can think of that I love pretty much all of their movies like so passionately and so deeply, and it's just like hard to pick where each one goes and how do I pare it down and what represents what like that was one of the struggles for me for coming up with the list uh Joel Schumacher is one of those filmmakers for me because he gets a really 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 bad rap for making those shitty Batman movies but god damn it he made so many good movies that people just don't talk about um one of the ones that I really like and uh, made my list at number 84 is eight millimeter uh this is oh I love this movie so much this is the darkest and dirtiest i think a studio like a main studio like ever got just mm. ever got period mm. this movie came out in 1999 and they had to fight every step like frame by frame every step of the way to get this like releasable basically uh but it was nice because the studio gave them leeway and they said you can make whatever you want to make we don't care so basically schumacher had come off of the batman movies and he was just really looking to do something the complete opposite end of the spectrum. He was looking to do something really dark and dirty. So eight millimeter is about uh, Nicholas Cage. He's a private investigator. And you want to talk about great Nicholas Cage performances. He's a private investigator and uh, he's asked by this like rich uh, woman or whatever to go through her husband's stuff. I don't remember exactly, but the point is he comes across this eight millimeter film and he watches it and it's a snuff film. It's just a straight up snuff film about these guys killing, killing this girl and doing all this crazy BDSM shit. Um, and so he goes to the woman and uh, she's like, your husband was into some shit. And she's like, no, like that can't be or whatever. She fucking has a heart attack and dies of shock. But before that, she basically tells him, like, you need to find this girl, the girl that was in this uh, film. Sorry, she doesn't get killed in the film, but she gets tortured or whatever. You need to find the girl that was in this film and, you know, make it right. Uh, and so he takes it on and he just spirals. He goes, he gets into this world and um, he goes to L.A., I believe, uh, ultimately. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in this movie. Great, just the one of the most insane Joker type performances he ever put in. <laughs> he plays this. Uh, he play. He basically works at like a sex shop, and he's got like he's got his hair all spiked up, makeup, earrings, tattoos, fucking BDSM shit all over him. And he basically uh, takes Nicolas Cage on the tour of this underworld. And this is the '90s, right? So all of the stuff was like underground basement like tape vhs tape trading and stuff like that and this movie shows you all that stuff and i remember there's an interview with again joel schumacher passed away uh last or this year i believe um 
it was yeah, a very sad right. day. But um, he did an interview about nine millimeter very recently, like last year, I want to say, where uh, in the video store, they had all these TVs playing like actual hardcore porn. And that was just like they had shot the scenes and they had to re-edit them and cut literally frame by frame as to like what the censors would allow and what they wouldn't allow. And it's very interesting to, to, to read about this movie, at least for that to learn about like how this this movie got made uh ultimately it comes down so he goes through joaquin phoenix great character performance uh, he finds uh this talent agent played by james gandolfini wow what a great performance by james gandolfini in this fucking dirty sleazy like the dirtiest you've ever seen gandolfini he basically gets these girls to come in the audition he gets them to suck his dick and do all these terrible things and like he never you want to talk about using people like he's one of those one of those guys he, he knows that he's never going to give them callbacks he has them do all these favors for him and then he sells them off to this other guy sometimes who makes snuff films and so nicholas cage is the vehicle through which we we discover the and it goes lower and lower and lower and lower and ultimately we end up uh in the like torture porn basement where these guys make these films and they torture nicholas cage for a bit so uh i it's Holy a really shit. it's such a fucking filthy movie and like i said i believe it's like it's statistically like the studios like they put this one out and they were like never again this was made through columbia i believe and they were like just never again <laughs> This, this is it. Like, we're not doing this shit. Like, we did it basically because, you know, Joel Schumacher was a name and he wanted to do this. He got Nicolas Cage to sign on because what do we know about Nicolas Cage? He'll fucking do it if he I'll thinks it. it's interesting, you know? And this is, again, this is a subject that's just like, yeah, we're going to make it like it's about snuff films. And they're like, ah, what are those? Let me show you. Uh, <laughs> and Joel Schumacher, uh, again, known for his Batman movies and stuff, but like, and, you know, St. Elmo's Fire and Lost Boys and stuff like that, but like, really kind of a psychological thriller kind of a guy or just like a thriller kind of a guy. And uh, he really, I think every everything about this movie shines. The The color palette is brown and dirty and it's all dingy basements and bloody things and like fucked up sexual things, right? Um, everybody works from for every character. Joaquin Phoenix, James Gandolfini, Peter Stormare is in this movie. Ultimate, he plays like the ultimate, like the, the, the ringleader of this like entire fucking snuff film operation. Like everybody just hits it uh, in this movie. Uh, Catherine Keener plays Nicolas Cage's wife. And basically he, he, he'll do a thing. He'll come back home. He'll do a thing. He'll come back home. And like, it starts to break up their marriage basically. Cause Nicolas Cage is like, I've seen some shit. Like I can't, I can't be normal anymore after this stuff. And it's just like a really interesting, uh, not very talked about movie. I think because it was buried, I think there was a very concerned effort after the movie came out by the studios to just bury it, to just never talk about it. But like, there's a lot of great talent in this movie. It's done earnestly and honestly. And uh, it's just Joel Schumacher trying to show you the dirtiness. It does get a little silly. I mean, there are a little bit of Hollywood like plot contrivances in there. But uh, it's absolutely worth watching for like just the lengths they went to to like shoot these scenes in these actual and with a lot of times like authentic real films playing in the background, like all these pornos and snuff films and stuff. So like really, really dirty movie right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Um, yeah. if you're, you've seen Sinister, right? Mm -hmm. This almost seems like a really, really dark, really dark kind of thing of like Sinister-esque. You know, instead of a demon, it's it's a it's a weirdo guy who's gonna torture you. Is behind the <laughs> the kind end of, of the rainbow, <laughs> kind of yeah. But it's not a horror movie. It's it's just a thriller, and the horror the horror comes from just the subject matter 
because uh, Sinister was like, ah, we're going to kill kids, but it's like done with jump scares and things like that. This movie <laughs> is just like, I'm I'm just a guy and I'm trying to investigate this shit. And now my life, I, I just can't be normal again after this experience. Yeah. I, I've seen the darkest that human beings can go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to. You should it, check it, it out. If you're, Sounds- if you're. If you're in the mood for it, uh, and at least for the for the scenes with James Gandolfini, god damn, dude. I mean, that guy was so good at yeah. playing these like fucked up degenerates. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I love this movie. It's it's just right up my alley. It's like it's it's in my milieu of uh-huh. just dirtiness. Dirtiness. Yeah. So cool. Recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Eight, eight, eight millimeter is the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, okay. So my next film is uh part one of a series. And uh, so this one was directed by the Japanese director, uh, Masaki uh, Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. So this guy did uh, Harakiri. He did Samurai Rebellion and uh, Kwaidan and some other films. Uh, this, this series is like, I think some of the best, one of the best trilogies ever. Like it is incredible. And this is another one I feel like doesn't get talked a lot. It's sort of similar to how I started this segment with uh, The Best of Youth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this massive massive sprawling epic nine hours and 40 minutes of total length of the three parts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and it's basically about the war period japan and it's told through the eyes of this guy um kaji played by uh tatsuya nakadai one of the great one of the great japanese actors him and uh mofune and the other guy uh i forget that guy's name the third guy who's also in like seven samurai like yeah i never remember their names but like some of these japanese guys like i you know when you see him for sure yeah nakadai he's in like everything yeah him him it's either like i swear the three of them are in like half of all the great japanese basically (laughs) yeah well i i don't remember exactly how their their like studio system worked but i'm pretty sure it was like those were the guys and they're just going to keep putting him in stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. They're like, yeah, do you hear you? Like, like it, you, you get to choose one. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 You want my Fune? You want Nakadai or you want the other guy? Which one do you what's want? What's the, uh, what's the, what's the film called? It's called the, the human condition and it's three part series. So this is human condition. Part one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got like a subtitle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what it's, what it, what this one is. Uh, I just think of them as kind of one thing and it's just one through three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this film, uh, so it starts off wow. and we're following this guy, Kaji. And he, um, so again, this is like, this is like Japan when they have, they've gone into China and they're successfully invading and they're, they're, they're oh, now right, got right. their war machine, you know, pumping out stuff in China. So this guy, he, um, um, so he starts working as a supervisor in a labor camp, like these Chinese, uh, like, like basically he's overseeing these Chinese POWs or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, fu- it's f- fucked up. <laughs> um, and so he's, but he's like a good guy, but he's a good guy in a bad time mm-hmm. in a horrible time. And he's, so he basically, he spends a lot of this movie trying to make sure that, um, you know, the people are treated well and that the corrupt, he tr- basically tries to fight the corrupt system, but he can't, he, he just kind of can't, it's just kind of overwhelming him. Because, you know, again, it's just this imperial Japan and it's the, the, the war machine is spitting out this absolute evil. Um, and then, you know, there's a love story. So him and uh, uh, it's uh, it's like Mikio. Uh, he, um, you know, they're basically getting married and they're having they're like going to have kids and stuff, blah, blah, blah. But like, meanwhile, his 
the stuff he's getting into with the Japanese, you know, war machine is pulling him away from her and also getting him into these moral quandaries where he's having to, he's having to like try and fight back, but that's getting him into more trouble because they're not having like the, the, the Japanese hierarchy is not having any of it. And then the more he starts to try and push back and like make sure that the prisoners are okay, they start to look at him as, you know, are you a co- Are you conspirator? Are you evil? Are you, you know, like, like, are, are you trying to sabotage from within? Um, and that's, in this part of the series, that's kind of the the give and take of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's um, he's basically trying to protect his family and protect his you know his, his inner moral uh, center, but it's very difficult in you know the world that he's stuck in. Um, and that's basically kind of what happens in the film um, in this part of the in part of, part of the series. He's just like trying to fight back, but it's sort of it. Yeah, in, in the end. Um, what happens is it's punishment for him trying to protect the Chinese POWs. They draft him into the war. <laughs> and oh. he's, ba- he's basically a conscientious objector. He's right, like a objector. pacifist or something? Yeah, he's, he's a, he, the way they play him off is like he's, he's kind of, again, he's just a person stuck in this world and the world doesn't make sense to him. The war doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. The inhumanity doesn't make sense. But he's not, he's not a Japanese imperialist. He's not anti-imperialist. He's just like a guy trying to live his life and then this world whirlwind of insanity has just swept them up into this horrible this horribleness you just can't get away from it mm-hmm. just can't get away from it and you know the the society punishes him for trying to be good by putting him into the place he, he would least want to be which is in a war <laughs> wow yeah yeah it's it's pretty amazing it is an absolute this whole series you know again the next three things i'm going to talk about are all this series it okay, is cool one of the most amazing film series I've ever seen, trilogies I've ever seen. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. The some of the the scale of those like Japanese epics just blow my mind. Uh, I I can't fathom the kind of system that gets that together to get that made at that level of quality with with everything. Like I just it never made any sense to me. Uh, and I'm not just talking about like the Kurosawa stuff that everybody is like again spoon fed to watch. Like you're you have to see Seven Samurai, you have to see Rashomon, you have to see these movies. Um, yeah, like a lot of the other because I I, uh, I went through like a Japanese cinema phase and I saw a couple movies. Uh, some of the fucking wild wild stuff that they made. So yeah, I I missed this one clearly, but uh, some of that stuff is just insane, man. This one, yeah, absolutely. Um, this one is is pretty mind blowing. Like when you really like go through it and you see what they did here, it's really mind blowing. It's kind of weird that it's not it's not talked about as much. Uh, I feel like this this series should be talked about. I mean, basically the way that we talk about like The Godfather, the way we talk about, um, especially because this is like this is so interesting too because it is a Japanese perspective on World War Two that. Um, you know, it, 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 it's not just like pushing shit under the rug, you know? Right, like it's, right. It's like saying like, yeah, there's, this, is, this was the cost for us of what we did in that war. And I feel like this was a time period, like the 60s in Japan, was when they were really grappling with that question, mm-hmm, finally. Mm-hmm. They were finally like able to, in, in media, kind of openly express, okay, yeah, we... Like in, in the way the Japanese could culturally talk about... Right. Right, right, how, right, right, right. How what they did that was so barbaric and destructive and evil and horrific 
That's and how, it. how it all splashed back on them at the end with getting nuked and getting invaded and all this stuff. Um, wow. Yeah, this to me, this I would I would put it up there with like the Godfather, uh, Lord of the Rings, those type of trilogies, and especially like something about World War Two. The only comparison I would have would be something something like uh, Band of Brothers or mm. like those kind of big. There's just like actual epics, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like. Cause this again, this is nine, nine over nine and a half hours of <laughs> story. That's wild, and it's, that it, it's wild. all it's all so good. And like the 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 arc that this character goes through is like amazing. It's like it's so amazing. Um, I think this was based on some other kind of material someone had written, like a long mm. novel or a long series of of things. Um, yeah, so that's part one. <laughs> it's <Okay>. amazing. <laughs> Jesus, wow. <laughs> the human condition. Yeah, part wild. One. Cool. That was number 83. That was number 83. That's right. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to whisk you away from the shores of the Pacific and uh, bring you all the way to good old America town, baby. Uh, this is, this is a movie that I so badly wish that I, that I would have made uh, or something that I would make if you gave me, if you just showed up and, you know, said that we got, couple producers here's a couple million dollars let's make a movie like this is pretty much distilled like the movie that i would make like right now uh this movie is red rock west uh it's not talked about it's weird that it's not talked about almost at all it's uh, directed by john Dahl, who uh made a lot of really cool neo-noir movies in the 90s he did stuff like the last seduction ultimately he did uh, rounders with uh, matt damon and oh Lord yeah Lord. everybody knows that fucking movie yeah mm-hmm. but red rock west is like his second or third feature uh and it's it's so good because it's so like distilled like it's such a great movie because of like it's just so distilled um it it's not overblown it, it it doesn't get too far ahead of itself it's a very simple story uh and it's very it's very cool so basically it's another i didn't even realize this that i just did this back to back uh so it stars nicholas cage and uh he's a drifter he's just fucking around looking for work uh driving like the the opening scene of this movie is so good it's over the the, the credits the text credits on the screen is just uh like on the side of the road on one of those like classic american highways just two lanes and just fucking desert and absolutely nothing it's just nicholas cage's car parked on the side of the road and he's shirtless outside doing one-handed push-ups basically the, over the entire like opening credits of this. It's so perfect. It, it just like, so it, it just tells you everything you need to know about the style of this movie and what it's going for. Um, so basically he's a drifter. Uh, he ends up in this town called red rock, uh, I, red rock or red rock West, whatever. It's the name of the movie. Uh, and uh, he gets, he gets involved with the sheriff or something. And uh, he's looking for, he gets denied for all the work. So he goes into this town and, and he ends up speaking to this bartender and there's this guy there at the bar and they're talking and they're talking in like double entendres, but they both think that they're like, they're talking about different things, but Nicholas Cage is just playing along cause he's a drifter and he's just looking for work. So basically he walks into the bar and the guy sitting at the bar is like, are you the guy? And he's like, yeah, I'm the guy, you know? And he's like, so, you know, you're ready. You're going to do it for work. I'll give you 500 now and 500 later or whatever it is. And he's just like, yeah, I'll do it right now. You know, he gives him the cash, whatever. He's like, great. Okay. So here's where he lives. And you know, this and that. So basically he gets mistaken for a hitman. So he, he wanders into this town and he gets mistaken that he as a hitman. And there's like this, this crazy love story that ends up uh, happening. 
so the actual hitman. So he basically Nicholas Cage, he pockets the money and he's like, I'm getting the fuck out. You know, I'm not doing, this. <laughs> you know, he's like, that's, uh, you know, great that that happened. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Right. I don't want to get caught up in this shit, but I made some money. So cool. Turns out. So the actual hitman rolls into town. Right. Like just minutes after he's Nicholas Cage excuses himself to go to the bathroom to leave. The actual hitman walks into the bar played by Dennis Hopper. And, no. and one of those and he's wearing fucking like snake skin like fucking cowboy boots cowboy hat like he is just dennis hopper at his fucking peak you know hitman style guy uh turns and you know turns out the guy that hired him is the sheriff of the of the small town so all of these layers get peeled back and it's like this crazy like avalanche of like thing happen thing thing you don't expect happens after thing you don't expect happens and nicholas cage is just this like random asshole that gets caught up in the middle of it all uh, and it's not a comedy or anything it is it's like a neo-noir kind of a thing but it's it's got a little bit of lightheartedness to it um so basically what the what the whole thing ends up being is that uh this the sheriff ends up hiring a hitman to get his wife killed because there's money involved and there's inheritance, something, something, yada, yada. Nicholas Cage ends up falling in love with this woman. She, and because he goes to warn her basically, like now that Dennis Hopper's in town, he's like, look, we don't know each other, but Dennis Hopper's here to kill you. Just thought I should let you know. Okay, bye. And then uh, it all just kind of spirals out of control. So it's basically just, it's just like a really tight, I feel like this could be a play. You know, and you've just got you got Nicolas Cage, uh, J.T. Walsh plays Wayne, the um, the the sheriff. You got Nicolas Cage, J.T. Walsh, Dennis Hopper, and Lara Flynn Boyle uh, of Twin Peaks fame, uh, and those are kind of your main four. And they're just it's shot in this small town. There's not a lot of locations, uh, but there's just got really really interesting scenarios, right? And you don't know kind of like you just don't know what this movie's about like once it starts. Uh, and it's shot in like the most, you know, it, he goes out of his way to make it as noir feeling as possible, especially once Nicolas Cage falls in love with the guy's wife that's trying to get killed. Now he's invested. Now he's trying to get her out and uh, they're running away from Dennis Hopper and this like crazy whacked out sheriff together. It's a great old time. Red Rock West, highly recommended. And it's just one of those things. It was made in 1993 and it just feels like one of those like a like a budging filmmaker burgeoning i should say like just filled with talent and he just really likes you know movies from the 40s and 50s and neo-noir or like noir movies or whatever and so he just happened to make one set in the middle of fucking like the midwest with mm. nicholas cage and a bunch of other crazy rednecks uh, yeah and so yeah that's uh red rock west is absolutely one of my favorite movies because it just it, it just like shows you that it is possible to just take a really simple story, make it in a, in like one or like just a couple different locations. As long as the uh, scenarios are interesting and it keeps you gripped because it does right. Like that, that setup is so great. If he just wanders into this town and he ends up being mistaken for a hitman. And that's something that's happened throughout like classic Hollywood movies. Uh, and it's yeah. just, it's just fun to see that done in like an R rated modern mm-hmm. way. Uh, and it's got Dennis Hopper playing a crazy cowboy hitman. So <laughs> I mean, that's like that's like half of that's like half of the uh, Hitchcock filmography is like, oh, we right. thought you were that guy. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Except that guy happens to be Nick Cage this time. Around. Yeah, it's Nick Cage, and then he's being chased chased by Dennis Hopper. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That's a real twist on like you know uh, North by Northwest grungier. Yeah, very grungy. Very like 
everything is basically shot over a filter of like cigarette smoke and blue lighting and or blue or red lighting, you know? So it's like, it's very stylized in that way too, which is cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, another, the yeah. great, the great, the great um, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> these strikes just, again. Yeah. These are the types of, and as we creep along this list, these are the types of movies that really, really hit home for me. The, not necessarily the overblown, crazy, big spectacle type movies, but the really small, like the Hitchcockian, like scenario type movies. I like those a lot. Yeah. Cool. All right. So yeah. So my number 82 Again, sticking with this series, The Human Condition Part Two. Mm-hmm. So you know, same director, same actor, all that kind of stuff. So again, were they, so the, were they shot back to back at the same time, or? Okay, so what's interesting about this? So the release dates that are given, it's like fifty nine, and then the other two are sixty one. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure they shot them all at once. But they it just feels like it, right? It's like yeah, those. Okay. Uh, it's like the Sergio Leone movies. They were all done w- within a year or two, all at the same time. But they were released like six years apart or like so over the course of, sorry, I should say like five or six years. Yeah, because they were being localized and translated and re-edited for America and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they had to do all the posts and the post took a while because like they have this. Well, you know, the post like, took a while and the, the marketing. No, they, 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 they held them because they in America, like they didn't want to release those types of Westerns in the 60s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not like. I, I have no idea how they decided to release this. Because this sounds to me like a fucking huge undertaking. <laughs> yeah, it does, right? Like, a, it's basically a nine-hour, like, a film like this. This is such a unique series of films. Because today, this would just be a HBO miniseries. It sounds, yeah. Like like you said, like a Band of Brothers thing or something. Yeah, yeah it would just be a HBO miniseries. But they made three three-hour movies. <laughs> In the late 50s. (laughs) And they shot them all back to back to back. And they basically, it's basically one thing. It's one massive story. It's one Mm -hmm. nine and a half hour story. Mm -hmm. Um, And God knows what the budget on this was. Yeah. Uh, This, this, this feels like one of those, you know, again, like we're talking about, you know, what Nolan's able to do, what Spielberg has done, what other Kubrick has done. Like you're the guy who has the clout. And then you tell the studio, okay, I want to do this massive thing. I'm, I got our guy. He's going to, he's in. We just need X amount of money and we're going to shoot like, you know, 250 days basically straight to, to shoot this whole thing. And they say, okay. And then you get something like this. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, this was a massive undertaking. Like the scale and the scope and like the, the epicness of it. It's all so big. Um, yeah. So in this story, so Kaji, so again, the last time we, saw him in the previous film he lost his exemption so he has to join the war effort so he gets he gets conscripted into the army he's in china they um you know right away they they suspect him of being a leftist sympathizer (laughs) and and so he's (laughs) he's like in trouble um and so again society punishes him more for caring about other people and they assign him really really tough duty um despite how kind of like he's he's good at what he does, but they kind of still you know he would be someone they would put as an officer, but instead they punish him and they make him you know right. do the yeah. kind of grunty stuff, deal with these kind of idiots basically. Um, and a lot of the again, all of these films have to do with his on a certain level it's naivete, but I think it's really his humanity. Like he he's trying to infuse humanity into these situations that are inhuman and sort of 
you know, cold and calculating and, and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to, 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 to push this imperialism on everyone and he just can't do it. Um, and then society pushes back on him and punishes him for being a human being. Basically. Yeah. For being the voice of fucking reason. <laughs> so, yeah. So then, yeah, he takes over this troop and there's all this conflict. Basically the, the, what happens in the end, uh, the, the war turns for worse for Japan. The Soviets are coming. Um, and they, they, they basically take them out. The Soviets take out the Japanese and him and uh, whoever's left of his band of people are fending for themselves. They, their army is decimated. It's decimated. And he's just like off on his own trying to hide from the Soviets so that he doesn't become a prisoner. And that's pretty much how this, this part of the story arc ends. That's so crazy to me to um, to make like the, the, the clearly like we were talking about, I think last week, like they they figured out kind of the form a long time ago. And then we've just been iterating on it ever since. Like the fact that you can take such an insanely complicated and epic kind of story and then make it make sense, not only over the course of one movie each time, but over the course of three movies and have an arc that goes over all of them. That is the kind of like magic uh, type shit that I, I I don't think I'll ever get a handle on the way that uh, you're able to to have that structure over such an extended period of of time over like just the content that you're making is really yeah. really fascinating to me. Like you've got to have some like pretty fucking magical scribes in there to make that work. Yeah, like again the the pure mastery of the art form, mm-hmm. and you know that's what I love so much about this. Like this is this is just like one of those rare things that happen where you have a master director who understands the form completely, who's basically telling us a nine hour epic that tells us about how destructive this time period was culturally for Japanese people. Mm -hmm, That's what this mm -hmm. film is about. Mm -hmm. That's what this film series is about. And it's, it's like, it's amazing to behold when you see the whole thing like put together. Um, Yeah. And I think you would really like, I, I, I think you would really like it too, because again, it's, it's not, it's not a happy uh, story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, everything you've said so far, the fact that it doesn't shy away from some of the stuff that they did, because a lot of these movies, especially done because like it's a Japanese film about what the Japanese people did. And so like how like every fucking America rah rah, you know, army movie that was made in the 30s and 40s is like that is just like America is the good guy and we did nothing wrong ever. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, it appeals to me very much that they were able to make something that was like, they're able to look at it and say like, this, this is the fucked up shit that we did here. It is. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I think they did. Cause like, you have to kind of be subtle. Like it, it, they still to this day are not going to, Oh no, 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 no. They don't show you that much stuff. No, they still to this day. Don't like, I remember there was this big thing <laughs> that happened. This was like, like the crazy worlds of, you know, American politics. So the, the PM of Japan came uh, with Obama to uh, Pearl Harbor. And there was some oh. kind of deal where he, he didn't apologize, but he kind of apologized or some kind of weird <laughs> shit. And then, and then Obama kind of apologized for nuking the nuking, but he didn't. And it, yeah, it was, but like, but like, but like, it's so absurd. It's so absurd. It's so absurd. Like that became a huge thing. How dare he apologize for nuking? We, the nukes were good. We should have nuked them again. Like, like the people came out and were just like totally crazy. But the thing was, both sides, the Americans and the Japanese, were mad that they tried to like have this moment where it's like this was bad. The, yeah. the fact that we had right. to have this war and this conflict against each other 
was bad. And like it's like we can't say that. We can't say that it's bad that people died in a war. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny and that's that, that's recent too. Yeah, that was probably 6 years ago, probably like 2014, maybe 20 maybe wow. 50. Yeah. Like That's that's wild. People yeah. went insane. People not only that. Both sides, in Japan and in America. That's wild. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and and it's not like it's not like they said, yeah, well, I'm sorry, I nuked you. Yeah, I'm sorry, we did Pearl Harbor. It was just like no, it's it sounds like they were a little reserved. Yeah, it's just they had that moment where it's like you know you look at each other like yeah, man, yeah, yeah that's a politics. <laughs> and, that was, and that was too much. <laughs> no, you never want to. You never want to give your uh, your upper hand up. I guess it's strange. It's it's all crazy. Um, so yeah, I think I think this film. This film is just this film series is such a great, incredible job of like handling all this big stuff, you know, Japan at this time, at the height of so like at the beginning of this film, it's Japan at the height of its imperialism. Yeah. It's stretched out in China. It's it's doing all this stuff. Yeah. And you know, he's almost like Kaji's almost like the conscience. Like it's like this is wrong and it's gonna mm-hmm, end mm-hmm, bad. Mm-hmm. And the more he says that, the more he's punished. Yeah. Right. Punished. Um so yeah, that's my uh, that's my number eighty two. <laughs> eighty two. Okay, that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, I guess it's my turn. Uh, yeah. Eighty two is this is this is an interesting one. This is one of those movies that made me cry like a fucking child. Which if you would if you followed everything up to this point, you're like, well, this guy's really just into fucking schlock and genre pictures. Yeah. Like why, what? It, and did you, right, 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 and just like. Uh, kind of uh, exposing the CD underbelly of whatever, as long as you show me all of it. Um, but this movie made me cry like a little baby. Uh, it's called Awakenings. It's a Penny Marshall film from 1990. Uh, and it is once again, uh, Robin Williams and uh, Robert De Niro. And uh, it's based on a true story, also based on a book, also written uh, by Steve Zalian. So right there, you got, you just got it. Um and it's about if I, I don't remember again, like I'm not a doctor, so I'm not an expert, but I'll, I know this. Robin Williams plays a, a, a doctor who basically works at this clinic uh, where with just like a bunch of these, um, what is it, uh, victims of an encephalitis epidemic epidemic many years ago. And so basically it's an entire wing where these people are just catatonic. And they just don't, they don't move. They don't speak. They, and the, the research says that they never will again, their entire, like everything is fried. Everything about them is fried. Like their memories that they don't know. Cause you know, it's kind of how it works with these diseases and stuff like, like dementia and things like that. It's just like, we don't really know. Right. Like the question is like, is the person still in there? Are they reaching out? Are they screaming out? You know, like what is it? Are you actually trapped inside your own head? Really, really, really scary questions like that. So we don't really know. But these people are basically all catatonic. And Robert De Niro plays one of the one of the patients. And the the movie is about basically uh, Robin Williams is, is such an optimist. And he plays this and he plays it like the most just he plays it as emotional as anything he's ever played. Like he plays it so like. I don't want to say cookie cutter, but he plays it like there's like nothing. There's like no faults with this guy. Like he is so committed to like, I can, I can fix this. I can, there's experimental medicine and I'm going to, I can bring these people back. And of course, all of the science says, no, you can't. But again, this is based on a real story. And what ends up happening is he ends up trying this experimental thing. And he basically, Robert De Niro begins to wake up out of his catatonic state. And then they start, he, 
testing it on more and more patients. And basically, at one point in this movie, the entire wing of these catatonic patients wake up and they all discover like they're, they're alive, you know? And it's like this really, really heartfelt, interesting thing. But then the tragedy of it is that, uh, again, because of the nature of these diseases, we don't really know, all of them end up kind of uh, degrading back into the catatonic state. So they come back, they basically kind of come back to life and they start to uh, rekindle these relationships and their family visits them. And there's all these great, like, you know, emotional scenes. And they're like, oh my God, you know, fucking dad's back, grandma's back, whatever. And then they all start to fall back into the state where the movie began. And um, again, Robin Williams is the, the the absolute anchor of this movie. He's the heart of it because he's just he he so believes that he can help them. And then Robert De Niro, on the other hand, possibly I think my my personal like the most emotional performance he's ever given, in my opinion, uh, because he does such a good job. He does a lot with his. Um, with his like facial muscles and things like that in this, because he is playing a catatonic patient uh, and he has to play a lot, do a lot of scenes where like Robin Williams is like showing him tennis balls or whatever. And he has to like do a lot with a little bit of his face to show that he's like, he's recognizing these things and that's what tips off the doctor. So anyways, it's really, really, it's like a masterclass on acting. Sure. From these two guys, but the story itself is like, it's an optimistic story, but it's ultimately the most depressing thing you've ever seen. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I really like this movie because I, I didn't expect it to be as uh, affecting as it was. And it is made, it's not, uh, it is like a Hollywood picture, but uh, it's done in a really like kind of honest, earnest way. Uh, it's not trying to be like a happy or a sad movie. It just kind of, it, this is just kind of the story that was, uh, and again, written by Steve Zalian, so who, who just cannot fucking miss. Yeah, so, he's a master. Exactly, and, and, and this movie hits you in the feels one hundred percent of the time, uh, and uh, it ha it absolutely makes my list as like one of the most like emotional movies. Uh, and again, Ro again, just Robin Williams, he played the serial killer in the other movie I talked about, and then he's playing this like uh, this like archetypical yes. good guy in this one, mm -hmm. and uh, he's just so believable. He's got a little bit of that like. Um, I think this is the same year that Mrs. Doubtfire came came out where like he he just has that like like he cares so deeply kind of like he sells that so well. Um yeah, he's got he's got the empathy gene. The empathy gene. Yeah, he's got that like goodness about him. Uh and he it really Yeah, Goodwill Hunting movie. stuff. Right. You know, that exactly. scene with, with Goodwill Hunting, yeah. Right 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 right. Um it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your yeah. fault. <laughs> yeah. No, this movie is absolutely fucking great. And it's worth watching, if only just for those performances. But yeah, uh, absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I I've heard a lot about that film. Um, I I I've yet to see it. Uh, I I probably I'll try and watch it at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I've definitely heard of it. And it sounds very popular. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's another one of those things that, like, again, it came out, it got Oscar noms, it got all the buzz, but it just kind of gets forgotten because the studio, because the studios used to make so many interesting movies like this, you know, and this is very much like a studio movie because you don't get to have these guys in your movie if you're not backed by, you gotta pay, you gotta pay up, yeah, 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 and you're getting Zalian to write it and you're getting Penny Marshall to direct it. Um, so it is kind of like a Hollywood super group kind of a thing going on. But uh, it's just cool that they were able to make these movies. But it, it does get swept under the rug a little bit because we, we you know, we forget like what was it? Fucking Dances with Wolves came out that year. Like it's just like weird how Hollywood works sometimes. But this is definitely something I I, I would tell people not to sleep on. <laughs> no pun intended. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. 
Okay, so we're at number 81. Yes. So this is the human condition part three. So um, again, so in part one, you know, Kaji starts as a guy who's sort of using his position to stay out of the war while also kind of, you know, overseeing these labor camps. But then again, his humanity gets him sucked into the war. Then in part two, he sucked in the war and he sort of tries to use his humanity to make the soldiers like basically there there's there's this this story arc where there are some people who treat their own soldiers very sadistically and then they that sat sadism gets put on even worse onto the chinese people and so he's trying to fight that and that gets him sucked even deeper into the war and so now at the end of the second film he's trying to run away from the soviets who've just taken over and completely destroyed the uh, japanese now we start this film where Kaji and they are, they are basically full survival mode. Like the opening of this film is just like him hiding in the dirt and shit with his friends mm. that are left. Um, and it's like that bad. <laughs> it's like that bad. It's really bad for them. And so, yeah, they spent like the first, I don't know, couple, couple, you know, half an hour or so trying to evade them. They get captured. Um, and basically they get subjected to the same kind of stuff that they were subjecting Chinese people to at the I beginning had of the film. I a feeling that's where this was going, yeah. And so he, it, it's just, it gets so bleak. It gets super bleak. And, you know, you start to see, like, there's there's no there's no way out for him uh, at this point, <laughs> which is really kind of sad. Um, yeah, so he's just getting tortured. And, like, they're the Chinese and whoever has them, like they're just taking out their revenge on the Japanese for all of the horrible shit that they have been perpetuating on them for at this point, it's probably what, like five, six years or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the, the absolute horrors. And it's like, well, we got you motherfuckers. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's very powerful because like, again, he's not, he's not an evil person, right? He's not, we've consistently seen that this guy has heart and he has this almost naive sense of like trying to do good. And the more good he tries to do, the more the backlash of society right. hits him really hard. Yeah. Um, there's he, there's basically him and this other character spend a lot of time together in the film, and they're kind of trying to survive it together. It, it ends tragically. Wow. <laughs> um, and the the ending of this film is like it, it is it is absolutely one of the bleakest things you'll ever see. <laughs> I, you sold me. I will. I, I won't give it away, but I yeah. will say it has a Lucian ending. It's good. Not, good. It's not rainbows <laughs> and butterflies, and you know, oh, you know, I'm home and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it is some bleach shit. Wow. Yeah. But it's fitting well, because it like the yeah, like they their their whole society got completely obliterated. Um, yeah. And this is kind of this is kind of a stand-in for what what happened. You know. Yeah. Take this good person, destroy them over and over and over again and then the tragedy it's just it's just a tragedy so it's, it's a nine hour tragedy <laughs> yeah 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 cool no i i definitely gotta check it out now is the main character based on like a historical figure or is he kind of just like inserted into this i don't know uh let me let me um just because it, it kind of gives me that the vibe of like it's it's basically like an odyssey uh throughout this like period in in history and they yeah. just like created a guy you know to kind of help audiences along so it's based on a six volume novel published in 56 to 58 um let me see if they have any um da, da, da. It's, it's probably just uh no, they probably partially auto autobiographical so it's sort of about this person the the person who wrote this 
Wow. So it's sort of about his life, basically. Christ. Jesus. This, this seems like it seems like basically um uh the filmmaker, he him and this guy probably kind of knew each other. Mm. Because the film and the book came out basically at the same time. Like the book series came out um from 59 to 61. And that's when the films came out. Wow. So it's almost like it's almost like some Harry Potter kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, so so I guess the 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 answer to your question is like it's se- semi autobiographical. I the ending is you know more thematic, obviously. Sure, but sure, sure, I guess sure. this guy, the writer, he lived something like this. He lived some, yeah. He probably lived through through some of those. Okay, <laughs> there's they're doing some fucking work in the hallway. There was making noise. No, but yeah, it just it sounds like uh, you know he's probably had some experiences in the war and and had a really good perspective on it. Um, yeah, crazy. especially. Um, Especially like, like this is an epic kind of series. Like this guy starts off as basically like kind of a hoity-toity rich guy who's overseeing the, this his slice of the empire mm-hmm. that's been handed to him. He ends up in a fucking POW camp with no shot of of ever like yeah. having any kind of future. <laughs> I wonder if uh, even subconsciously this was uh, in in the back of someone's mind when they were setting up the deer hunter. Cause it sounds like it's kind of a, a similar thing where like the first hour of that movie is just, it's this great big wedding scene and it's all great. And you know, you got the rich guy and you got the working class guy and they're all kind of hanging out together. And then they all go to Vietnam and some of them make it, some of them don't uh, stuff like that. So I wonder if this was like on, on their mind at least when they were setting up some of those, like, cause America eventually made this type of self-reflective or just like expository thing about the shit that they did beginning with Vietnam, I feel like, is kind of when they started. Yeah, it needed to be the right war uh, mm-hmm. because, yeah, you're not going to see, like, the America did bad World War Two movie. Nah, never. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if that <laughs> like, I don't even know if that exists. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it does, yeah. Uh, I really don't think I really don't think it's like, eh, we really really did some bad stuff to Japanese people. Uh, yeah, and I don't even think you're going to see any, like, uh, you, you have been seeing, there have been a lot of smaller scale, like, indie movies made uh, about, like, Afghanistan and, uh, uh, like, specifically, like, the 2003 stuff. Like, uh, Brian De Palma made, uh, made a film about it. Very low budget, very handheld, very digital, very, very fucking affecting. Um, I don't know if you know his film, uh, Casualties of War, about Vietnam. It's with uh, Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn. And it's basically about Michael J. Fox is just like the goody two shoes. And they're part of this company. And the, the, the company decides to just rape this Vietnamese girl over and over and over again. And it's based on a true story, obviously. And they passed her around and they kept her prisoner and they just like used her for all these things. Dude, it's fucking horrific. Uh, and then so Mike, so it's just like all about this tension of about like these like fucking jock assholes, you know, like the Sean Penn people and the Michael J. Fox. Like, I'm just here to fight a war, I guess. Like, what am I doing here? Kind of a thing. And uh, it's it's cool that we yeah it's fucked up it's cool that we got some of those uh, perspectives and uh, but it sounds like it all kind of traces back to 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 this series yeah for sure I mean it's like like this is a super epic kind of thing um, right right right, right right yeah I'm not trying to like I don't I'm not oh yeah no 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 I, I was just saying like like if I'm sure if anyone if <laughs> any filmmaker who sees this film. I'm telling you, it's working, right? It's working I'm, in the background. I'm telling you, see this, you're like, holy shit! What am I doing? What am I doing with my life and my career? How can I be making this, right? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. anything where you can approach this level of story, where, like you said, it's this is a nine and a half hour film 
that has this massive story arc that yeah. it's not only not only is it about the character, it's about like the 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 thematic elements are so strong. It's about society. Yeah, like right. this is what you live to make. You know. Yeah, that's they see, but so some people some people can do that shit, and some people like me, they just want to make Red Rock West. You know, like sometimes, yeah, this is, this is expert level shit. Super hard. Yeah. Um, I was trying to read about if there's any interesting stuff about the diet, about the, the, the making of this series, um, took four years to complete. Yeah. Um, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so the total of the runtime was 579 minutes. Uh, it was released as a trilogy between 59 and 61 was shown at various film festivals, um, and that, and it typically sold out. Okay, it's interesting. Um, 1999. Well, this sounds like the movie to see. Yeah. <laughs> and why yeah. would it not sell out? Like this is the fucking right, event of the right. season. Yeah. Oh, Arrow Video released a dual format Blu-ray DVD edition. Ooh. In 2016. Ooh. <laughs> see, see if you can I, find that. <laughs> oh, of course I can. I love Arrow. I buy shit from them all the time. Uh, six disc disc set includes an introduction and select scene commentary by critic Philip Kemp, um, theatrical trailers, and a booklet uh, written by David Desser. It's interesting. Cool. Sounds like a yeah. That sounds like a make a plan out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying. To, yeah, so that that's about that's about it. I don't want to bore people. Uh, if if people want to read more about it, but it, it's to me again, it's one of the greatest epic series trilogies ever 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 made in the history of film and it it's it's pretty incredible it is absolutely incredible what was achieved with this with this series of films gotta yeah gotta check that out very cool yeah so that's uh that's my number uh 81 the human condition part three we made it we made it to 81 whoo yeah um my number 81 is like, uh, again, it's kind of like a stand in more or less. Like there are potentially other films by this director that could have been this one, but it's got to be this one. It, it just it has to be uh, Il Bono, Il Bruto, Il Cattivo, the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just it's kind of unfuckwithable. Uh, I love it. I love that. Movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, like personally, I think I like Once Upon a Time in the West a little bit more. But for for like different reasons, right? But like this is the one that like you just this is the one that I put on my list. Like this is the one that kind of has to go on your list. I feel like um, it just does so much right. Like it's it, it. There's a lot building up to this movie. There's two other movies that again they all shot like basically at the same. I think they shot the first one, um, which was just a remake. Oh, the, of, the Yojimbo, fucking, yeah. Yojimbo, yeah. Uh, which funnily, like the only reason that movie exists is because like Clint Eastwood saw Yojimbo. He's like, I, I'm down to do a Western of that. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. He went to Spain and he made this movie with these maniacs. <laughs> uh, but then he came back and he shot two and three back to back. Um, so there it's a trilogy kind of in name. It's the man with no name trilogy is the way they advertise it these days in name only kind of, uh, there's no kind of through line other than Clint Eastwood just plays a protagonist an unnamed protagonist. He has different kind of backstories each time. Uh, so in the good, the bad and the ugly, I feel like is kind of, kind of where like all of it comes together, like stylistically, everybody's comfortable working with each other. It's all the same crew, right? It's all this is shot in the same locations. Uh, and it is just this great, fucking epic story 
of uh, the good, the bad, and the other. You've got these guys, they're all chasing after the same treasure and uh, all the hijinks that ensue and all the betrayals and backstabbings. Uh, in particular, uh, Eli Wallach in this movie. I mean, they're all great. Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef. Uh, love them all. Um, the, it's funny, now that I think of it, they're like adding one each time. So the first one had Clint Eastwood, the second one added Lee Van Cleef, the third one added Eli Wallach. Um, <laughs> but it's just such a fun, like they're fun characters. Uh, and and for me personally, why I like this so much, I don't have to fucking explain to you the good, the bad, and the ugly. But uh, for me, the reason that I like it so much and that I put it on the list is that, again, it, we're at that point in the in the late '60s where we begin to uh, get a little more stylized, a little more bloody with things. And the good, the bad, and the ugly is kind of the ho- the the holy grail when it comes because, of course, we got more violent after this. You know, we got a lot more like shittier, more low budget movies. But like this is on a massive scale, like a huge, huge scale. This is like a three hour movie. They blow up a bridge. There's an entire fucking war that they like stage at the end of the movie. Um, and then you know some of the most iconic, the music, you know, the Ennio Morricone music. Again, it's just it's kind of untouchable. It's kind of unfuckwithable. It, it's the stuff of movie legend, um, at least the way that it's been kind of picked up and people ran with it. Uh, but stylistically, I think it's 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 got a lot of the stuff that I'm into. The the sensibilities of the like the badass, you know, yeah. kind of gives no shits guy who doesn't really have anything holding him. You know, he's got like a maybe. A set of morals but like not really he's just in it for the money you know you've got like a murder and then you've got like a joker basically and um cool stylized violence um very like sergio leone famously like those uh, extreme close-ups of the eyes the editing right the showdowns the stuff it just does a lot of stuff that just wasn't being done, especially in Hollywood movies in the sixties. Uh, and of course, you know, this gets picked up and it gets put in the wild bunch or it gets put in whatever other movies that Hollywood makes down the line. Um, but it is like a 100% a European movie that, uh, just happened to translate and it translated very, very well. Um, the, the main issues I have with it, you know, like they've done a couple, um, like remasters of it. They've gone back and uh, ultimately the last version that exists, I think is the best one because they got, uh, Clint Eastwood and they got Eli Wallach back to like redub some of the lines because I, I always thought that the, the dubbing in these movies were just pure garbage uh, by design that's part of the charm uh, but they finally like they, they got it right I think the, the last time they remastered these for Blu-ray um, so definitely I mean good the bad and the ugly I just it kind of has to be on my list for it just has to complete the package you know it's it's, it's a violent western with morally ambiguous characters and like them doing dirty things. So like, you know, (laughs) so, um, I really, really love this film. I I think, you know, this might be the first Western I ever saw. Oh, it feels like it to me. It feels like is this was the first Western I ever saw. I have a very, very strong nostalgic feeling about this film because me and my dad would watch it a lot, Mm. a lot. So for me, like, I love this. And this film is like, you know, I, I, I really also kind of like what's about time in the West a bit more uh, as a film. Right. I have these really strong feelings about this film. So like, I like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But what I, what's interesting about this film is that it's so kind of goofy and whimsical and kind of comedic in a lot of ways. Um, Like the Tuco, like the Tuco character is like one of the great characters. I think really ever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ever. Cause like, he's almost kind of like the protagonist. Cause he's, he's he has an actual character in this film. 
Like right, he, right. you know, we we have that scene where he meets with his uh, brother who joined the church. He has that line like, uh, you know, you join the church and I rob people. Like we have both mm-hmm. had a choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, he's a he's a really great character actually to go. Um, yeah. And like like dude, he just has so many good lines. I love that scene where like uh, the guy comes to kill him. He's like in the bathtub. He's like, blah, 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 blah. And then he just shoots him. <laughs> yeah. He just shoots him and kills him. And he's like, hey, if you're gonna shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Right. Um, a, po- a couple of people have tried to rip that line off, and it never works in any other context. Sure. Um, yeah. That that line was in um, God the Steven Summers movie uh, with the fucking yeah and Van Helsing. <laughs> it was in, yes. It was, was it? in Van Helsing. Yes. Jesus. Wow. Uh, what's her name? Says that line to a I don't know what a bat demon woman that it's, you know. It's all yeah. It's it's in there. It's it's terrible, oh. uh, but yeah, it, it, I I and the music is so good. You know, the music has, is untouchable. Yeah, everyone has their motif, and then like that scene, the ecstasy of gold scene is like religious, Dude. religious it, levels it is, of good. It is religious. Thank yeah, that's a good good way to put it. I was I didn't know how to describe that scene, so I just didn't. Yeah, it's just such a not only just because like you're at that point in the movie, but just like overall, just as a scene on its own, like. Yes, you're so invested in this fucking guy's like journey at this point. And it is it's shot in such an interesting way uh, with him running around the graveyard and the fucking. Oh, the like swirling and swirling. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like that scene is made in the edit and the and the and the score for sure. Yeah, it just yeah, you're just you're just like he like again, Ennio Morricone is one of the absolute greatest composers ever oh, ever yeah. ever 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 basically him and john williams are like the gods they're they're I, gods I on mount olympus sitting there looking down at other people and then there's like the demigods like Hans zimmer yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> but he's an absolute god and like there's like i really wonder if i'd love to see someone who sucks at scoring films but like still does it Mm. Uh, score this film and see how differently it feels. How differently would the ending feel where it's just three guys standing staring at each other for like 10 minutes? If you if you put like a like a Brian Tyler or something, some guy who just does like Fast and Furious movies or whatever. Yeah, just someone who who's like they're average or below they, average. Like what right, is it right. what like how different is that? It's probably yeah. very different. It's it's not the same. No, not at all. Yeah. Right? And but you put that score in with that style and it it is it is it is palpably powerful cinema yeah. uh, f- absolutely exactly absolutely very very because uh, it's literally three guys staring at each other there is tension right there is tension and like once you uh, that was kind of like when i first saw once upon a time in the west like i didn't the opening i didn't get it <laughs> oh, <laughs> like it, 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 it didn't make sense to me the first time but like that like once he showed up i was like okay now i kind of get it um but like before that i didn't see that it was like you know and he does that a lot these long drawn out it's it's funny too because the first time i saw that movie i i didn't know what was going on because i mean that's the point right but i was riveted for no reason it's just like a fucking fly on a guy's face or something and i'm just like i'm into it i don't know there's something about the way that he shoots those close-ups uh, and the way that well, it's, it's, it's very masterful. It is very masterful. Yeah. Like the, 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 the level of tension that he builds and that's really his style. Yeah. Build tension, build tension, build tension like this, like, mm-hmm. you know, use close up, use close up and then reveal something in like yeah. a, kind of like a master shot. And mm-hmm. then you're like, Oh shit. Okay. And you know, at the end of good, the bad and the ugly, it's just like these, these, these looks glances. Y- yeah. Guy yeah, yeah, yeah. His and, hands. and then like the hands. Yeah. Yeah. And then he moves his hand away because another guy, 
looks, you know, and the, dude, the, the ending is just so like it's, so it's just good. it's so crazy because like literally they are. I I really wonder how he directed them too because it's it's so many of these small moments, right? It's like Tuco moves this way and he mm-hmm. moves a little too fast, and right. then the guy the guy looks at him and then he goes slowly, slowly, slowly un- unclips the thing on his gun. And then he he walks, he walks, he walks slowly. And then they all get into this three-point position. And then they're standing, they're staring, they're standing, they're staring. <laughs> look this way, look this way. Go for the gun. And then boom, shoot him. And then he's like, got no bullets. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, for 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 all of those reasons, there's 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 no way this wasn't gonna make my list, especially my list. Uh it's just it's like you said, like it's fun, it's whimsical. Uh, but like there is a there is a level of um there's like a swashbuckling kind of uh, nature to it, but it's also like uh, it's also kind of intense. Like some of the violence, like you, like when he shoots the guy out of the bathtub, like yeah, it's funny, but it's like it's it's, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, exactly. People are fucking dying. People are being hanged. You know, throughout the movie, mm-hmm. uh, there's all there's all the like Blondie gets left in the desert and he just fucking bakes in the sun for twenty mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. Like there's some intense <laughs> shit in this movie that is like not really typical of other westerns. Yeah, like certainly you would never see this in a John Ford movie or something like that. Like this is a very very different kind of western, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not about like the relationships of people or like the the lords and the ladies, so to speak. It's just about like three fucking degenerates <laughs> chasing after gold and i really like that yeah so, or like yeah. when that that fat guy beats the shit out of tuco and it's just oh like, yeah yeah beating yeah. on him beating on him beating on him beating on him there was a there i was that's why i was struggling to put so either wet, uh, once upon a time in the west or for a few dollars more because for a few dollars more there's a scene where they um they get uh basically uh caught by like some uh soldiers you know and they're like they're torturing uh one of the characters i forget exactly who it was and uh, the villain in that movie, I mean, the entire thing is predicated on like him killing uh, his girlfriend or something like it was really like it's a lot darker and it's like a lot closer to my sensibilities. But again, uh, good, the bad and the ugly. Ennio Morricone, like the score, he, he scored all the rest of the movies, too. But like he's just there's just a level of like legend to it that like, you just oh, yeah, ignore. Yeah. Well, even though we didn't even like ah, like that shit is like yeah. <laughs> transcendent level. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and that style of like having a motif for every character, and you know yeah. that 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 uh, what is it the the where the yeah where they where they all show up and it's like freeze frame their mm. name mm-hmm. the motif. Yep, yep, yeah. Thank you, you know, thank you, Tarantino. Oh wait, <laughs> yeah, Tar- Tarantino. Uh, he loves what he loves, and he loves to uh, yeah to to uh, you know. Show show how much he loves it by homage. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever if I ever like get on like any level where I can make stuff, like believe me, I I will do the same thing. Like it's 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 just why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. yeah, It's just cinema. It's like Exactly did that really well. I'm just gonna (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we both had a lot to say about this one because uh I mean, there's there's a lot. There's like other like smaller scale movies, obviously, that are later down the list. But like, I just this had to get slotted in at some point. <laughs> you know, like you can't not have oh. good, the bad, and the ugly on your list. I'm gonna go to my grave loving this film. Like, yeah. like this might be one of the last things I see before I'm dead. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> right. dying. Yeah. I would like, like to. <laughs> I'd like to see like a film print of it one day. I've never seen that. Um, but yeah, one of the actually great experiences uh, that I've got to do that I'm so grateful I got to do was uh, when I saw the the Hateful Eight. The roadshow version, the hateful eight. You can say what you want, like you go one way or the other about it. But uh, the the whole point of the roadshow was the 
the great kind of uh, I forget what it's called, like the the overture, right? And it's all score, and then there's the intermission, and it's all just like extended score because he had a Ennio Morricone do the score for that film, and he won an Oscar for it. So to experience that, like in a in a theater, mm. was like really really fucking cool to just sit there and just listen to that music that mm-hmm. uh, that he made. Uh, also, another one of the 2020s casualties, <laughs> Morricone. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, because I mean, yeah, and and like he didn't even die from COVID. I mean, COVID just no, he was just he was just old. blew Italy up. So that's yeah. gotta tell you. Yeah, well, yeah, there, there's an Emma. Like people say that, like uh, you know, you having something to live for is like what extends pe- a lot of people's lifespans. And like I feel like if because he died in like June or July or something, I feel like if COVID hits your country the way that it does, and you're 91, you're just like, I'm good. I've accomplished things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, he's he's one of the gr- absolute greatest composers of all time. And this is, uh, I think, Once Upon a Time in the West is, they're they're like 1A and 1B. They're kind of close. They're close, yeah. They're kind of close. Because, like, man, the harmonica, like, that, yeah. that is, that is like, that yeah. is powerful. And, like, the fucking guitar, like, when, when dude shows up, what's his name, shows up and he kills those kids. Yeah, I forget. <laughs> I forget his name. Um. Henry is Henry Fonda, right? Yeah, Henry Fonda was in that. Yeah, yeah, Henry Fonda. And he's like he shoots the kids, and then like he comes out, and you hear the guitar. It's like that. That's a score that that gives you a feeling, like you mm-hmm. feel something. And like when you hear that harmonica, when like the train passes, and you hear the harmonica. <sighs> yeah. Whoo, man! That it's it's one A and one B for me. I really love both of them, uh, mm-hmm. but they're both they're both like the perfect encapsulation of the Sergio Leone style. Plus that score, yeah, put together and it creates this extremely cinematic experience that's just unparalleled, unparalleled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very, very, very well put. Yeah, you're right. Cool. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's it for this this uh, block of ten this films. Batch. Mm-hmm. This has been really, really fun so yeah. far. Um, it's it's going to get more interesting too. I I guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, and like, well, the good thing is, like, there's more films that we haven't discovered from each other that we're like, okay, now I gotta watch that. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So cool. All right. Uh, so yeah, thanks everybody. Um, hopefully, we'll see you guys again in the future. And uh, thanks a lot. Take care. Sure. See ya. <laughs>